Bienvenue, Kanichiwa, Ni Hao, Jambo, Marhaba. It's time for the Armist Inquisition yet again, episode 289 on Sunday, the 16th of July, 2023. I'm Phil. I'm Ben. I'm Matt. And tonight we're very happy to be joined by Terry Boardman from 3man.org. How are you doing, Terry? Hello, good to be with you again. Yeah, nice to see you again. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, we had a really interesting discussion last time for, uh, for those of you who might be new to our show where we're talking about predominantly Rudolf Steiner and, uh, and I, I can never say it, Anthroposophy and uh, yeah. Araman. Yeah, and right first time. You just about <laughs> had to think about it. Um, so this time we thought we'd talk about your book, which came out quite recently. Here it is, uh, Western Hostility to Russia. Here's the cover incoming. You can grab this on Amazon. And um, it's so relevant because of what's going on over in uh, Ukraine at the moment. And um, so very interested to get your your take on what's going on. And um, I think for um, people <laughs> in the UK, in the West, whose diet of news is probably fed via the BBC, Sky News, Channel 4, those sort of outlets, they probably think that Vladimir Putin woke up on the wrong side of bed one day and decided he was just going to invade Ukraine on a whim. Um, so, and your book sort of sheds a light on a lot of the background that's been going on, not just since like the Maidan coup, but for centuries. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it seemed to me that, you know, we're seeing on the one hand, the, uh, the media, uh, presenting basically the Putin is bad, Russia is bad, very one-sided picture. And therefore Ukraine is is the uh, the princess to be saved from the dragon by St. George of the West uh, in the form of Joe Biden and Ben Wallace uh, and, and satellites. Um, so that's one picture. And then on the other side, we have another picture which I've noticed, and I'm sure you have as well, in what you might call the alternative or the truth or freedom or dissident community there sometimes, not always, but sometimes we're seeing a message or an interpretation whereby, well, Russia and Xi Jinping and uh, Klaus Schwab and Joe Biden and Rishi Sunak, they're all in the same bed together. They're all in the same club. They're all doing the same thing. It's basically them against us, the people. And they're all as bad as each other. And so the war is either fake. I've even seen people saying, you know, it's not happening at all. It's some kind of scam, a kind of wag the dog story. Uh, or else um, it's not a real war. Uh, it, it's a kind of pretend affair. Um, 
and the, the purpose of it is to scam us all and uh, basically to take us further along the, the road towards, for example, Schwab's Great Reset or you know, the latest phase of the New World Order. So there are these two very opposite pictures. And um, you, you probably come across this uh, debate also, which is about the multipolarity interpretation that the people are saying well we're moving into a multipolar world and some of them are in in russia and then there are those who who stand up for the the uh you know the, the international rules-based order which is basically the unipolar world of american domination since world war ii um and again those people who see that this war is some kind of fake or a pretend affair will argue um, that, for example, well, multipolarity is just as bad as unipolarity. Um, so that's another another aspect of it. But they're basically saying the same thing. The, the two, the both sides are as bad as each other. And in the book, I've tried to argue, well, actually, it's not so simple. It's not as cut and dried as that. It's not as black and white as that. The situation is quite complicated. And as you say, Phil, you've got to you've got to go back uh, several centuries at least to see where this really ori originates in the struggle between the uh, English-speaking people and the Slavic-speaking people, particularly the Russians. Yeah. So I mean, you spend a lot of time in the book talking about the modern era. You touch on the Napoleonic Wars and the impact that they had. Uh, First World War, obviously, is a huge thing. How far back do you do you go with the story of of, of why this is happening today? I think, really, um, practically speaking, you've got to start somewhere. But practically speaking, I would go back to the Napoleonic time. Um, because there you can begin to see quite directly the beginnings of, on the one hand, British interference with, uh, with the destiny of Russia and also British fears about Russia. And uh, the, um, the second, the th what is it, the third chapter in the book is specific, there are only four, the third one specifically deals with the 19th century and the development of British fears about Russia, which are essentially about fears of Russia taking India away from the British elite. But behind that situation, which, as I said, arguably we can start in the Napoleonic time, um, of course, you could go back even as far back perhaps as the 9th century. And I'll just say why very, very briefly, which has to do with, um, at that time, you could say that the European situation was such that Europe was basically still governed by the thinking and the habits of the Greco-Roman world. And uh, the Germanic peoples, um, who basically have been in the driving seat of European affairs, especially since the 15th century, um, the Germanic, that's Germanic, not German, but Germanic includes Germany, it also includes English, of course. Um, so they were still in an early phase of their development in terms of civilization. They were still in the tribal phase. As you know, the Romans and the Greeks regarded them as barbarians. 
So in the ninth century, that's a very important point. Because there, for example, although the Greco-Roman ideas, the Latin ideas, which are very much informing the Catholic Church, for example, um, and the papacy, they we see rather there the Holy Roman Empire gets going in 800 with the, when the Pope crowns Charlemagne. Yeah. So you have a German Carolingian king, still pretty primitive, um, he now becomes the Pope's chosen defender. So the, Germ the Germanic peoples now take on a specific role within that, that German, sorry, that Greco-Roman Latin uh, cultural milieu, so to speak. Yeah? And the, the, the Germans were then educated by the church and they look up to the um, or they're trained to look up to the the papacy for to train them in the ways of civilization, so to speak. But in the same century, we also see the Slavs, um, or particularly the Rus, appear when Swedish Vikings uh, land in um, Russia and uh, establish the the the, the proto beginnings of a of a Russian state. So in the ninth century, there, I think we can see the the emergence of these of this polarity between the Germanic peoples of uh, Central and then Western Europe, Northern Europe, and the the Slavs, the Russians in particular, in the in Eastern Europe, and that'll be important because after the fifteenth century, the Germanic peoples in Europe basically take over the the, the vanguard, if you will, or they they increasingly push out the, the, the Roman Latin-based cultures from a position of dominance in European affairs. And that's still the same in our time. And at certain points in the book, I go into the, in the more esoteric aspect or the more esoteric view of history, which says that, well, this, this Germanic phase of uh, leadership, if you will, uh, within Europe will be will pass over to the Slavs in the normal course of things, so to speak. So we've gone from Southern Europe and the Mediterranean era over the last um, 2,000 years, then into the Northern and Western European region, the Germanic region, and then in the future, the vanguard position will move to the Slavs. Yeah? That's an esoteric understanding of it. And... The people who run the Western, uh, the Western elites know this and they're determined to make sure that it doesn't happen. So that the, the next epoch, if you will, the next phase of history after this Germanic one, which basically is supposed to begin in the fourth millennium, that that will not happen because the Germanic period, which will, which basically means the Anglo-Saxon or the English-speaking uh, epoch, because the English-speaking elites will have tried to make sure that the Germans don't get a look-in. And we saw what happened in the 20th century. Um, they will try to make sure that the Germanic uh, cultures continue to dominate in the next epoch as well. So the Slavic culture with the particular um, talents, if you will, or characteristics that they have, 
will not be allowed to come through. And that's a sort of esoteric underpinning in a very big perspective of what this war is about. It's the effort to take down the most prominent, the most powerful, the most successfully growing, in a certain sense, um, culture within the Slavic world. So that's how I would see it in, a, in the big picture sense. Yeah, going back to, um, well, going forward to the Napoleonic era, you mentioned this 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 uh, desire of the Anglosphere, as it existed at the time, to to prevent uh, the Germanic peoples and the Slavs teaming up together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that became especially um, that became especially an issue, really, more at the beginning of the twentieth century, or yeah. towards the towards the end of the nineteenth century. Yeah. But at, at the beginning of the, the, the 19th century, of course, it was still, it was, you could say, France's last big hurrah, or, which is basically the last big hurrah of the Roman Latin cultures <coughs> in the effort of Napoleon to conquer the whole of Europe. Um, and as we know, that was, as with the defeat of Hitler, that was largely uh, defeated due to uh, the Russians, with the failure of Russia, of Napoleon's um, invasion of Russia, right. So it's kind of like a supporting role for uh, the British forces and the Austro-Hungarians. Like I remember, it's a while since I've read any Napoleonic history, but I seem to remember yeah. that the British Empire was sort of they got a foothold in Portugal. I think it was in Lips, Lips, uh, Lisbon, and then they yeah, were sort right. of moved, Spain, yeah. moving yeah. yeah eastwards across Spain and harassing Napoleon from the west, if you like, while he was trying to right. hit Moscow. That's right, yeah. And at the same time, of course, the British were financing all these coalitions right. against against Napoleon, yeah? So Britain, so, Britain would have been the major financial power at the time, would it have been? Yeah, it was, it was certainly becoming that, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in a certain sense, you see, although the British were indeed fighting in the Peninsula War, in, in Portugal and in Spain in particular, um, it's a bit like now that they were, or in the in the first years of the Second World War, for example, because as you know, Churchill made sure that the Russians fought the, the Wehrmacht for, uh, what, four years nearly, um, you know, three years, before the, uh, before the Americans and the Brits went across to Normandy. So there's there's a sense in which in Napoleon, the Napoleonic era too, the Brits were kind of holding back. But it really was uh, mainly the Russians who, that, that was mainly accounting for the, the, the weakness of the, of the French army. Yeah, and it was, so it was a case of imperial, the British Empire letting that happen, if you like, uh, letting France or Napoleon exhaust himself against the Russian yeah. forces in the east and then sort of sweeping up yeah. the bits and taking the credit. I mean, what yeah. what was what happened to Russia after at the end of the Napoleonic Wars? In What was it, 1815, was it? Napoleon was defeated? Well, an, an interesting thing bef before he was defeated was, of course, and the reason why I kind of start back then, is that the, the British played a role in the removal of Tsar Paul I. Um and Tsar Paul I allied himself with Napoleon 
because he was uh, very unhappy that uh, Nelson had taken Malta and wouldn't give it back. Right. And he was the uh, the Grand Master of the of the Knights of Malta, bizarre, which is a Catholic order, but he was the Orthodox head of it. And so he was a very strange figure, Tsar Paul, uh, quite idiosyncratic. And anyway, he was very annoyed that uh, that Malta was no that his his Malta, so to speak, was um, was no longer accessible to him. And uh, so he allied himself with with Russia, with uh, France, and Napoleon, who had already tried to get at India, which he rightly saw as the basis of British economic power and world power, uh, British control of India. That's why Napoleon had invaded Egypt in order to head over to India, um, but that had failed again, due to largely due to Nelson, the Battle of the Nile. So Napoleon then, when um, uh, Paul, Tsar Paul, uh, lined up with him, suggested that they go after India together. So Paul immediately said, right, I'll send an army over to India. And he launched straight away, I think it was 20,000 Cossacks, heading across the, the deserts towards India. Well, you can imagine what the, the government in London thought of that. And a few months later, um, Tsar Paul was assassinated by some Russian aristocrats. Um, the One of the assassins, his sister, was the lover of the British ambassador. And there seems to be some um, there seems to be some strong suggestions that you know, the Foreign Office was involved in that. At any rate, you know, even if there wasn't you know solid uh, documentary evidence that the Brits were involved, it certainly did benefit the um benefit the british very much because the czar's son alexander uh was a good friend of all the assassins and he was even in the palace when the czar was being his father was being assassinated and he apparently had wanted his father to be removed but not killed so you know he was prepared to um uh, he was prepared to take over from his father but he didn't think that his father would be murdered uh, so he did take over from his father. He didn't punish any of the assassins. And then he became best friends with the Brits uh, for a while and received British money for the coalitions and so on. And then, yeah, that virtually continued, really, until the defeat of Napoleon. Okay. So after the defeat of Napoleon, to begin with, where when he was a younger man, the Tsar was a little bit, by Russian standards, a little bit more open to what the British in those days might have called liberalism. But by the time of the defeat of Napoleon, he'd become very conservative and um, uh, also very religious as well and very orthodox. And uh, so Russia, after, from 1815, the defeat, defeat of Napoleon, Russia became a very conservative state. And from that point on, both liberals and uh, conservatives in Britain began to see Russia increasingly as a potential enemy, the country that could now, because France was out of the picture, now the country that could possibly take away um, India, the goose that lays the golden eggs for Britain, from British power. Right. And I guess part of it is just because of the sheer size of Russia. It's a large it's a large population. It's got a lot of natural resources. Thinking back to the Napoleonic era, well, even today, 
we talk about the natural gas and the oil and oh, yeah. the timber and mm-hmm. grain. I mean, it's uh, if it's that's another great point you make in the book. You talk about the fear of the Brits and um, the British fear that this massive powerhouse of a country yeah. might align itself with a smaller but more maybe technologically savvy or industrialized country like Japan or Germany. That's it, yeah. Yeah, as you said earlier on. I mean, that's the fear. So they've got you, you have these two fears on the part of the British elite. The first is that Russia could take India away from the Brits. The second fear is that Russia could link up with, as you've just said, a very uh, energetic, disciplined, well-ordered and pretty well-educated uh, country like um, uh, Germany in particular or even Japan. Um, and the British were determined to prevent that. Now, so, ge- so, sorry, go ahead. So I was just going to say, well, Germany doesn't exist at this time, does it? It's still a, isn't it? After Napoleon, it's still like a confederation of. of- yeah, and, so, and then in 1871, it gets unified. Right. And then, of course, German industrialization proceeds very, very rapidly in the 1870s, 80s, and 90s. So by the time of the 1890s, the Germans were already outstripping Britain, even, you know, outselling Britain, even within the British Empire, even within the colonies. So this is a, is this a byproduct of the Franco-Prussian War then? Yeah, yeah. That was, it was the last of Bismarck's three wars. Right. And that's what succeeded in, in uniting in Germany. And Germany's sort of big mistake or tragedy in a sense in the 19th century was that the Germans were too... Wow, they were too overawed by British material power. You know, it's hard maybe for us now to realize how strong Britain seemed, at least, to foreigners in the 19th century. I mean, this tiny island dominating such a vast amount of the world um, with its huge navy, its incredible finances, its gold standard, you know, it it seemed amazing to, to continentals. And the German middle class in particular, they said, well, we'd like some of that. And so they they envied the British. They envied the the Navy, for example. Uh, They envied the colonies. And so when Germany came together in 1871, the middle class in particular, uh, the the business class, the industrial class, the commercial traders, uh, these people gradually got together with the, the aristocracy uh, the Junkers, the, the landed aristoc- aristocrats of whom Bismarck was one, um, and pressed for German colonies, a German navy, and basically they began to they were, began to to copy in effect instead of being themselves, instead of being German and doing what Germans do best, so to speak, they began to say, well, let's put our energies into copying the Brits, just as in a certain sense the Prussians in the 18th century had copied the French by developing French military, the French army, the French military power, the French uh, bureaucracy, the French um, sort of statism, if you will. Yeah? The Prussians had copied that in the, 19, in the 18th century. Now in the 19th century, the, the new German Reich empire wanted to copy the British commercial economic uh, empire and the, the ways in which that empire was underpinned. And uh, does the, I was thinking, I was reading about the Hanseatic League a while back. 
which is further back in time. But I'm guessing yeah. that that was the same sort of area, wasn't it? Sort of Poland, Germany. And that was more of a sort yeah. of commercial union that maybe, I don't know, did the, uh, the, uh, the, the fledgling German state, did they read much history and sort of learn any lessons from them maybe? <laughs> well, yeah, they certainly read history, but unfortunately, you know, many of them took the wrong lessons from it. And as I say, they were too, they were so uh, impressed by the British um, that they wanted to, um, they just wanted to copy the Brits. And of course, this goes on right up until Hitler and the Second World War, yeah, because mm-hmm. Hitler never wanted to fight the Brits, uh, never. He was a great admirer of the British elite, and I emphasize the elite and the ruthlessness and the racialism of the British elite. He admired that. And he wanted some of that for Germany, which is why he wanted to invade Russia and create his own British Raj for Germany in Russia. So the Slavs would be the untermenschen, like the Indians were in the Raj. Yeah. So he didn't want to fight the British. So, And that, can, that really started in the, at the time of Victoria, whose husband, after all, was German. And as you know, the Kaiser, Kaiser Wilhelm I, you know, he was half English. Uh, his mother was English. They were all well, related, but, weren't they? The yeah, they Tsar were all related. Yeah, they Victoria. were all related, <laughs> basically. Yeah, the, the Tsar as well, through Victoria's family. That's really. right, yeah. Uh, but, I mean, before we get to um, World War I, um, we mentioned Japan before, and you make yeah. a, an interesting case about the Russo-Japanese War, which was yeah. shortly mm. preceded World War I. And yeah. maybe some some British meddling going on there. Oh, definitely. And there, there it begins to be not only British meddling but Anglo-American, Anglo-American meddling. Yeah, so the Americans, the British and the American elites are now coming together. In the eighteen nineties, those two elites really started to merge, even in the bed in the bedroom, where you get lots of you know very rich American heiresses begin to marry rather cash poor English aristocrats. Yeah. Uh, well, the Churchills, for example, mm-hmm. um, uh, his mother was American, uh, Winston Churchill. And and so it's the British and the Americans uh, decide that they want to muscle in on the potential uh, of China, the economic potential of China, the open market of China. And they're determined to keep the Russians out of China. But again, neither of them have much of an army that they can put in the field against the Japanese, who again had modernized very, very rapidly, like the Germans, very organized um, and very sort of up for it, so to speak, you know, very patriotic and and, and already quite militaristic. And uh, so the the Americans and the Brits didn't have an army to put in the field. So they basically put the Japanese army in the field. <laughs> That's not to say that, you know, the Japanese wouldn't have liked to go themselves. They certainly would. But they, too, were copying the British. In order to be modern, you had to have an empire. That's what the white peoples have got. That's what we want. So they wanted an empire. And the nearest they, they, they saw was China and uh, Korea and Manchuria. Um, coal, steel, iron, you know, these are the things that you need for a big military. And Manchuria and northern China had these things. So the Japanese wanted that. So they had their own motives for going in, copying the the, mili- the imperial model of, of the West. But the British and the Americans financed them. The British built their battleships. With those battleships, oh, the, the, Japanese, the Japanese. Yeah, the Japanese sank 
the, uh, the Russian battleships, which you probably know, went all around the world. The Russian Baltic fleet went all around, sailed all around the world, only to be wiped out by the Japanese, largely with British battleships. So um, the uh, the Japanese emperor gave, uh, uh, I think it was the, the Order of the Rising Sun third class to uh, Jakob Schiff, the American financier, for financing him. So in a certain way, Phil, you could say that, you know, there's a certain similarity of what's going on now. It's a proxy war whereby you, the, the Japan is the battering ram against Russia. Now, Ukraine is the battering ram against Russia. Behind Ukraine, behind Japan, in both cases, stand Britain and America. Now, uh, before we come to the present-day situation, because um, we've been going forward, haven't we? We started with, you know, the Northmen, the Normans, the Norsemen, and yeah. then we've gone through the Napoleonic era and then Russia-Japanese War, which is only a few handful of years before World War I. But we should talk about World War I. I mean, I yeah. would love to do an entire podcast with you, Terry, just on the start of World War One, because I think it would be pretty fascinating. Yeah, but sure, we, we the, could certainly do that. But, but uh, maybe, but Phil, maybe before, if I don't, if mm. you don't mind, before we get there, uh, there is just one thing um, in relation to this connection with the uh, um, Americans and the British coming together. Yeah, mm. uh, and that's the. Hang on. I'd just like to sort of quote you something uh, from the book, um, which is a, a quote by an American, a member of the American elite by the name of Brooks Adams. Can you see, can you see that? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Yeah. Is that clear? Yep. Okay. Now, Brooks Adams was a member of the American elite of what's called the American Gilded Age. He's, so he's right up there with the the plutocrats of the American establishment, yeah? And um, he and his brother, Henry Adams, wrote some very interesting articles and books. And they were friends with all the people in American governments and like Theodore Roosevelt and the secretaries of state and so on and so forth, and the big bankers and the Morgans and so on. And But these are the thinkers. These two brothers were, were two of the prime thinkers in the American elite at the time. I'd just like to quote you a couple of things that he said. So, for example, Brooks Adams, um, he'd written a book in 1895 called The Law of Civilization and Decay. And in that book, he said that there are young peoples and mature peoples. And the young peoples are imaginative, inwardly creative, and warlike. And the mature peoples are sober, scientific, and commercial. And he considered the Russians to be the first kind young, imaginative, warlike, immature. And he considered the Anglo-Americans to be the second kind. So the Russians were backwards, so to speak, and the British were progressive because they were in the driving seat. So where did he go with those ideas? In 1900, he said the following, that the world would be divided in two poles by 1950 by the power struggle between the sea-based system of the USA and the land-based system of Russia. Quote, Americans must recognize that this is a war to the death, this struggle between America and Russia. Remember, they weren't even at war yet. It's a struggle no longer against single nations, but against the continent. There is not room in the economy of the world for two centers of wealth and empire. One organism in the end will destroy the other. The weaker must succumb. 
unquote. And he felt that the key to victory between Russia and uh, America lay, quote, in the development of China, which is why the USA has to do everything to bring China under its own economic control and reduce it to a part of our economic system before Russia and continental Europe gain possession of Chinese markets. So this idea became the, the, the center and the theme of his book, America's Economic Supremacy, in which he prophesied the fall of the British Empire and its relate, replacement by the USA. So the American elite were already planning, you see, that they would take the British Empire into receivership, so-called. That's what they actually called it already in the 1940s. And in his book, uh, 19, in his next book, The New Empire, in 1902, where he forecast the rise of the USA to world power, he said this was inevitable, and within the next 50 years, the USA would outweigh any single empire, if not all empires combined. So there you have the beginnings of this notion, uh, which the American elite have at the end of the 20th century, the, the unipolar uh, American order. Yeah. Yeah, one superpower. Yeah, since 1900. Since the end of the Cold War. So it's, it's predicting the Cold War and the, the aftermath of it, if you like, 100 years in advance. Yeah, the aftermath, when America is, is, is totally dominant, indeed, yeah. What do you make of uh, a lot of commentators at the moment are talking, raising questions about the BRICS countries? Um, mm-hmm. What is it, Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa? And that, yeah. that this could create a duality uh, because yeah. America seems to be on the decline their debt is astonishing. The fact the monetary system seems perilous, yeah. and that there could be a, a rival sort of conglomeration of the BRICS nation. Nations. Yeah. I mean, a couple of things maybe to that. One is that I mean, the British elite were already worried at the end of the nineteenth century that Britain was becoming weaker. They were very worried about uh, Germany and Russia. And the reason they got together with the Americans, having seen that the America was not going to split up in the Civil War, Britain had want, the British elite had wanted the Confederates to win, many of them, and, and that America would, would break up. When they saw that wasn't going to happen, then it was a case of, well, if you can't beat them, join them. Or if you can't divide them, join them. And um, so they, they said, well, the only way we're going to survive or at least keep our dominance in the, for the coming couple of centuries, if not several centuries, is for us to get together with the Americans. So that's what they did. Um, however, although they were already worried about their weakness in, say, the 1890s, I mean, as you know, India didn't go until 1947. So, and the British Empire really had, had not more or less gone until the 1960s. And Hong Kong, of course, dribbles on until 1990, what was it, 1999. Um, so, you know, it took another 50 years or so before the British Empire finally, in outer terms, I mean, there are those who would say, well, it, it metamorphosed itself into a financial empire, you know, in, the, in places like the Virgin Islands, the Bahamas and the and the spider's web of those kind of... Yeah, and an empire of influence through NGOs, think tanks. Exactly. Run through the city of London. But but an empire in the outer sense, you know, with troops and naval forces and all the rest of it, that had gone. Um, But it took half a century. And then if you look at the example of the Roman Empire, which the British and American elites uh, are so often over the last 200 years have looked back to and seen as a kind of model... Well, that took a long time to die. 
even though, you know, say by the third century, uh, definitely it was on its last legs. And some would argue even by, say, about 200, 250, it was already showing severe signs of weakness. But, you know, it was in the West, at least, it was 476 before it finally gave up the ghost. And then another Uh, thousand years in the East. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, in the East. Um, So, you know, that's why that's why earlier, as I said, the Greco-Latin epoch really kind of struggles on until the 15th century, the fall of Constantinople and the end of Byzantium. Um, so in that sense, the Americans, although def- many people are saying they look weak, they could, they could struggle on for, for some time yet. And many Americans are aware, as you know, that once the dollar goes as the world reserve currency, then they will be in big trouble. And that, of course, is one of the reasons why uh, the, the, the concerns about the BRICS because if the BRICS manage to keep together, uh, then uh, the the dollar as reserve currency indeed is uh, is under very very great pressure. But if America could, for example, in the next within the next ten years, take out Russia and China, I know that seems like a tall order, but just you know just imagine if it, if 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 America could take out Russia and China out of the BRICS, then, you know, and possibly even if it could, in, in order to take out China, if it could, as it is now trying to, draw India into its own orbit, then the BRICS would, I think, cease to exist as a serious challenge to America's continued dominance. Yeah. Um, it, it's difficult, again, going back to sort of our Western perspective, uh, when we when we turn on the mainstream news, we, we get the impression that the entire world is with us. Um, but if, if you spread your view a bit broader, you find that it, it is just the Anglosphere and Western Europe. Yeah, yeah, that's right. The Anglosphere and its satellites. Of course, it's got some satellites which are not, you know, Japan, South Korea, Philippines, unfortunately, seems to be. You know, and who knows, as I said, you know, maybe they might succeed in drawing India in. They might even succeed in drawing Vietnam in. You know, there's no love lost between Vietnam and China. And Vietnam Um, Vietnam are poised to take over from China on the manufacturing front as well. Well, yeah, and look at the economic links which the U.S. is now Mm. developing with, you know, has been developing with Vietnam. So, yeah, there there are, as you say... A lot of the world is 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 not on America's side, particularly in this present conflict. Um, they're either either quietly, maybe hostile is a strong word, but they're quietly antipathetic, or they're just staying out of it, being neutral. Um, but there are some who are indeed very much still on the American side. I mean, just think this last week, uh, the. Uh, the South Korean leader was in uh, Ukraine and promising to do all he could for Ukraine. So, um, I don't know, should we go, is it worth going to World War One? Uh, we've got about 20, yeah, sure. 20 minutes, yeah. or do we want to go fast forward to sort of the last couple of decades or, or from the fall of the Berlin Wall? I don't know, it's up to you, Terry. How much more time have we got, Got Phil? about Got about 20, 25 minutes. Okay. Um, well, just to maybe very, very quickly, just a few little pointers. I think a very important person to, to keep in mind, if your readers are not aware of him, is, one, is, is somebody who is not, not very well known. Uh, he's managed to keep himself 
under the radar, so to speak, of many people, but really deserves to be much more well-known. And that's Alfred Lord Milner, Lord Milner, the founder of the Milner Group, which took over from what Cecil Rhodes uh, set up yeah, in the early 20th century. And the Milner Group then basically was the group that would later transform the empire into the Commonwealth, so direct rule into indirect rule, and um, also supervised, you could say, this whole process of bringing together the British and the American elite. And, for example, something like the Council on Foreign Relations, this very important American think tank, which which comes about after the First World War, and Chatham House, the British think tank, or Royal Institute of International Affairs, same same thing. Those two sister organisations, their coming together was also organised by people in the Milner Group. So Milner himself died in 1925, but he's a very, very, very significant figure. Um, he even suggested at the end of the First World War that Germany should be split into two, and that the Bolsheviks, the communists, should be allowed to have the eastern part. And he even fingered the guy who should be the ruler of the western part. And that was Konrad Adenauer, who in 1919 was was the young mayor of Cologne. And of course, in 1949, he becomes the president of the western-controlled Western Germany, satellite state. So Milner already saw, this is the guy we need to control Western Germany for us, yeah. Um, And so he's a very significant person. And then he's also the person who turns up uh, a month after, uh, weeks, in fact, after the assassination by the Brits of Rasputin in December of 1916. Rasputin wanted peace uh, at virtually any price, really. He was rather pro-German, close to the Tsarina, who was German. Um, and he, he he thought war would be disaster for, for Russia. He tried to prevent the Tsar from going to war. But he was attacked before just before war broke out. And so it was a near fatal attack. And so he was recuperating and so unable to influence the Tsar at the time in 1914. So he was out of the picture. He, he came back, then he recovered, came back and was was able then to influence the Tsarina when the Tsar had taken over the, the general staff of the Russian army and was away from Moscow, from St. Petersburg and from Moscow. So, um, so the Brits assassinated him. It's usually said that uh, he was killed by, um, by, uh, by Russian aristocrats, uh, a guy called Yusupov, Prince Yusupov. But if you read the very interesting book by Andrew Cook called To Kill... Uh, to kill the Tsar, uh, sorry, to kill Rasputin, to kill Rasputin, um, you'll see documented that it was actually Oswald Rayner, a British MI6 agent, who fired the final shot into the forehead of uh, Rasputin, um, which finished him off. And Ra- Ra- Oswald Rayner supervised, with the assistance of the British uh, ambassador at the time, supervised the whole assassination project. So Rasputin was taken out. And then, uh, by the way, the British were only allowed to know that 80 years after the event when the British BBC did a, um, a documentary on the thing in 2004, I think it was. Yeah, a bit like JFK, you know. Exactly. Keep, they keep locking it up. Exactly. And um, and then Milner turns up in uh, in Russia in on a kind of study survey, so it was called, 
to see if Russia could still hang in in the war, because Russia was a bit wobbly by that time. And uh, he goes back to to, Brit to, uh, to um, Britain, but not before he's dispensed uh, millions of rubles to various pe member, people, members of the Russian elite and also the Russian army um, to overthrow the Tsar and bring about the February Revolution, or actually the March Re Revolution. Um, you know, the calendars are different. Uh, and, but he went back to London and he said, no problem in Russia. The Russians are still on board. They'll keep fighting. And then only a few days later, the, the war, the, the revolution broke out yeah, and the Tsar was out. Um, and so he played a big part uh, in overthrowing the, the first, uh, in, uh, the, the, the Tsar and bringing about the first revolution. Um, and then the Americans and the Brits made sure that the Bolsheviks would come to power in uh, in in Russia, the main guy who ensured that the Bolsheviks would win the civil war was Trotsky, not Lenin. Lenin was the ideas man. Trotsky went out there in the field and did the organizing. And Trotsky was brought to uh, Russia by the British via New York and Canada um, from Spain. Um, so you know that again was the British got him there. And then the British and the Americans, with their money, uh, made sure that the Bolsheviks were financed, made sure that the whites, the, the czarist, pro-czarist whites, uh, failed in the Russian Civil War, didn't supply them with, with enough money and, 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 and weapons. So the whites failed, um, just like Jiang, um, Chiang Kai-shek failed after the, in the Chinese Civil War because the Americans didn't provide him with enough support. And so the Bolsheviks succeeded, and then the Americans persuaded, the American backers in particular, uh, persuaded uh, President Wilson to, to back, to support the uh, Bolsheviks, or at least not interfere with them. Um, and so, and then after the Bolsheviks had established themselves, then the American capitalists moved in and actually began to fund the, uh, the buildup of American um, uh, the American, uh, sorry, of the Russian um, industry. And you, you probably, maybe you've come across this book by uh, Anthony C. Sutton. Oh, no, it's one I need to read, though. Wall Street and the Bolshevik Revolution. This, All of this is de detailed in, wow. uh, in really excellent detail. And so that's the, in you know, in a very, very condensed nutshell, the, uh, the, um, what happened in, in the First World War. Milner also produced a, a, a plan to divide Russia uh, between the British and the French, but that didn't work out in the end because the Bolsheviks were a bit more successful than even he had imagined. Um, well, there was, so, a, there was a concern they might even get into Germany. They might inf there might be yeah. some sort of communist vi mind virus <laughs> in, yeah. in fact, Germany yeah. at the time. Yeah. But as I said earlier, um, Milner was even prepared for that to happen. Yeah, so he's prepared to say, "Well, we'll leave Prussia and Eastern Germany to the to the Bolsheviks, to the Reds, and but we must keep hold of uh, Western Western yeah. Germany." So, I mean, let's let's move forward to um, you know the late twentieth century yeah. and the current situation right. because there's right. so much going on. That, you yeah. know, in just in the last twenty years, and it, we know yeah. we should talk about it. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, what was the event in two thousand and four in Ukraine? 
uh, that was the Orange Revolution. So right. that's where you get the, that's where you start to see Soros uh, moving in, yeah, and you start to see what the first of these color revolutions, Absolutely. where all of a sudden everybody's wearing orange and t-shirts and banners and flags, and you know, the, a lot of money was moving there, and that brought in Yushchenko. Uh, it made sure that um, uh, that the 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 sort of more pro-Russian candidate didn't get in, and Yushchenko, the more pro-Western candidate, did get in. Um, and at the same time, with when Yushchenko got in, you started to see Russia, uh, Ukraine moving strongly away from Russia, more and more hostile to Russia. And at the same time, the, the sort of uh, very ultra-right, ultra-nationalist, hard-right, um, basically fascist, neo-Nazi types who um, you've probably heard the term the Banderites, the followers of Stepan Bandera before and during World War II, who was a Ukrainian nationalist involved in the genocide of many Poles and Jews in uh, um, what his organization was um, in uh, in Ukraine, in, in particularly in 1943. And Yushchenko made these people into heroes. So, I mean, these were genocidists. These were really, really... Vile people, and he made them into Ukrainian heroes. And so you see these kind of guys coming out of the woodwork. They'd always been there in in Ukraine, um, even through the nineties. But in the early two thousands, you start to in, uh, from two thousand four to two thousand ten, you start to see them really uh, becoming very prominent. And all these very these uh, um, hard right and nationalist groups, militia type groups, training, parading. And so on and so forth, yeah. And so we've got the expansion of the EU, which is happening around this time, isn't it? I seem to, when yeah. I think back to sort of the mid 2000s, 2004, 5, 6, we're yeah. starting to get sort of Poland coming in and, and uh, open borders between yeah. um, joining the Schengen. And so this is the major fear for Russia, is it, that Ukraine's going to be, yeah, become part of the EU? Yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, the, the um, I'm just trying to get out of another book here just to show the, the, listen, the listeners. Yeah, this one. I mean, this is really the key, I think, and you've probably heard of this book, the key to understand what was going on in, in well, not only those years. But, uh, but and look at the subtitle. Can you see the subtitle? Uh, American Primacy and Its Geostrategic Imperatives. Yeah, well, that kind of says it all in a way. Yeah, he was, um, he was a real character, wasn't he, Brzezinski? Absolutely. And, but Brzezinski, again, you see, and I make this point in the book, was working on the English-Victorian geopolitical text, if you will, which goes back to a guy called Halford Mackinder, M-A-C-K-I-N-D-E-R, Halford as in the bike company, um, uh, Halford Mackinder, and he's really regarded as the father of Anglo-Saxon or Anglo-American geopolitics. And he had this, he was the guy who really comes forward with this notion that Germany and Russia must never, never, never be allowed to join together. That concept. And also the, the concept that um, there is a certain part of the world, which he called the heartland in 1919. He called it the heartland in 1904. During the Russo-Japanese War, he called it the pivot region. Um, and that, that this is basically Central Asia and Siberia. 
And whoever has control of this region has control of what he called the world island. And whoever has control of the world island has control of the world, essentially. The world island is Eurasia, Europe, Asia, and Africa. And whoever has got that controls the world. But the first step to gain control of the heartland, the pivot region, he said, is control of Eastern Europe. So first you've got to gain control of Eastern Europe. Well, we know, for example, that both world wars began in Eastern Europe. Yeah? And then, of course, we, we also see in Brzezinski's book on, I forget which page it is, 38 or whenever, he quotes, uh, he quotes um, McKinder's uh, threefold motif about whoever rules Eastern Europe commands the, the, heart, the, the, the world island, whoever rules the world island, etc. Yeah? This threefold thing, it's a bit like 1984. There's a similar, I think, a threefold mantra in there. And Brzezinski's working absolutely to Mackinder's strategic ideas. Um, a bit like Brzezinski, uh, who was like the Tweedledum to, uh, to Brzezinski's Tweedledee. Um, Kissinger also worked very closely with the Brits. And um, so... In those years, 1990s, his, this book, Grand, The Grand Chessboard, was written in 1997. Uh, Brzezinski is really laying out why Ukraine in particular, and as a Pole, he's particularly interested in the Pole, in, the, in, in Ukraine. He's a Pole, he comes from a Polish aristocratic Catholic background, yeah? And his ancestors actually controlled parts of Western Ukraine. Um, he really sees Ukraine as the key to all this, and it's absolutely vital, he repeats this over and over, that Ukraine must be separated from Russia at all costs. And then gradually, Ukraine must be brought into NATO, Ukraine must be brought into, into the EU. And as you know, during these years, uh, from, from the 90s, particularly the 95 onwards, NATO does not disband itself, despite the disbanding of the Warsaw Pact. On the contrary, it moves ever closer towards Russia's borders. Yeah. And then eventually Putin says in 2007, look, this has got to stop. Uh, he, he draws a kind of line in the sand with his speech in Munich in 2007. And from that point onwards, the Western media really start pouring on the hate on him. They already started in 2003 when he signaled that he didn't like what was going on in Iraq. But in 2007 at Munich, he, he says, look, you, we, we can't be having this. Yeah? You're just getting too close to us. And um, then, as I say, the, the hate really starts coming in. And then he's, he's just seen as a complete nutcase, mafia boss, criminal, Hitler, yeah. the whole world. It's such a, a, a clear uh, dividing line. I'm thinking back to... Oh, 20 years ago on the way Yeltsin was depicted in the Western media, Western media, cuddly old Boris Yeltsin, you know, he likes a vodka. We don't have to worry about him. You know, it's a bit of a mm. bumbling idiot. Whereas now, like you said, Putin is Hitler. Yeah. And exactly. he's been, this has been going on for a decade. That's right. Because of course, under Yeltsin, America in particular was helping itself. You know, <laughs> Russia's economy was, was, was tanking. It, I mean, it was, they were absolutely dire years for the, for the Russian people. Um, let's go forward to the Maidan coup then, 2014, yeah. because I think, right. you know, it's it's, it's sort of tempor temporally the closest um, big political swing in Ukraine, which which is mm. in, which is affecting what happens, what's happening today. 
Mm-hmm. So I explain what happened with the, the Maidan coup. Right. You... Well, I mean, the Maidan coup was um, Yanukovych, uh, the chap who lost to uh, Yushchenko in 2004, the more pro-Russian character. He comes to power in uh, 2010. And um, he starts maneuvering to get a bit closer to Russia. And, um, and then, you know, again, the West doesn't like this at all. And a number of things begin to come together in this period. Um, we see, for example, the emergence of Xi Jinping in China in, in 2013. And already Russia, uh, Putin uh, begins to see, well, may, he, he gets interested in, the, in this Chinese notion of this transport infrastructure reaching across Eurasia. This is the, belt, is the belt and road. Belt and Road Initiative, yeah. That's right. And Russia and China start negotiating on that. The West sees this. In 2014, in May, they do the deal. It's worth, I think, some $400 or something, and it goes on for 30 years, uh, particularly supply of Siberian gas to China. So, you know, that does this with the Chinese and Russian economy. So you can imagine how the West saw that at the time, how the Americans saw that. Um, So... Then uh, they see this r- more pro-Russian uh, guy in in uh, in Ukraine as the head of Ukraine, trying to get closer to Russia, which goes against the the Brezhnev doctrine, so to speak. Huh? So uh, what then happens is that, uh, as you know, uh, there was a. I, again, I don't want to make this sound too one-sided. For example, there were a lot of young people in Ukraine. I would say they would have to be naive. They were not aware of this whole background, but they were kind of liberal-minded, you know, decent, good people, many of them, who did see that, well, we don't really like the Russians too much, and we think we'll we'll have a nicer life if we're in the EU, if we're part of the West. Yeah. yeah. So they weren't happy with the way that the, the Yushchenko government was moving, and so they started demonstrations. Nothing wrong with that. It's part of the democratic process. In, in the Maidan Square there in the center of, uh, of uh, Kiev. But um, after a while, these demonstrations got worse and worse and more and more violent as hard-right people, hard, these hard-right ultranationalists who were all absolutely anti-Russian, uh, started coming into these demonstrations and the violence just got worse and worse until finally it kind of erupted into the, the worst violence Europe has seen since since when? Certainly since the Hungarian Revolution in 1956. Far worse than Paris in 68. I mean, it was just crazy what was going on in, in Kiev in uh, in January, February of, um, of 2014. Yeah. Sorry, you, have, you, have you found evidence of Western agent provocateurs operating during that time? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, there, there's... There's the evidence which <laughs> the, the provocateurs were rather out front only because their telephone conversations were revealed to the world, namely uh, uh, Victoria Newland. Oh. Uh, she was the assistant um, in, she, assistant secretary of state for Eastern Europe, I think, yeah. in uh, secretary of the State Department in the U.S. Her famous or infamous phone conversation with the, with the uh, American um, ambassador, Jeffrey Pyatt. Uh, you know, where she tells the, um, she basically says, well, these are the guys we, we don't want in the, in the new post-coup uh, Russian, uh, Ukrainian government, and these are the guys which we must have. 
in the post post coup Ukrainian government, right? Yeah. And fuck the EU is what she said. Yeah, that of course went viral all over the world. Yeah, somehow they put a lid on it as they always do, and you know. The, the EU leaders all stayed mum and they didn't even, <laughs> Merkel didn't even mind that the Americans were spying on her mobile phone and so on and so forth. Um, because they're all puppets and satellites. Yeah? They, they couldn't do anything. But the, re- the reality was revealed. Yeah? And then we saw how people like McCain and Victoria Nuland herself went to Kiev in the middle of all of this. Yeah? Um, uh, and, and, and Kerry. Um, so there were those people... And then more dubious are the people who did the shooting, the people who Western media blamed for the shooting on the Maidan. I think about 100 people were killed, both uh, demonstrators and police. And it was it became clear later on, although it was very murky to begin with, that these shooters were shooting both sides. They were shooting at the police and they were shooting at the demonstrators in order to create chaos and confusion. And it became clear later on that these guys were hired Georgian mercenaries and they were trained by Americans. And, you know, if you if you do some hunting, you'll find that information online. So that came out as well. But it, it, it didn't come out for some time. I mean, um, the, the, the Americans are really experienced when it comes to regime change, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, it goes back to, well, when does it go back? Probably Mexico, you know, at the beginning of the 20th century. Yeah. Uh, or even Hawaii in the 18, when was that? Heavens, 1870s or something, you know. So this uh, led to the, like, the fall of the government, and it's when, like, Klitschko, I remember the the boxer, Vladimir, is yeah, it Vladimir right. Klitschko was being put forward as a potential leader. And, and, right. and so the, the democratically elected government, you might have, like me, you might have certain um, misgivings about the democratic process in a country like Ukraine, which is notoriously corrupt, but it was a de- democratically elected uh, guy who was overthrown during this it coup. It was, though. Yeah, it was. And he was, you know, the, the so it was recognised internationally as a, yeah, what they call a free and fair election, right. in inverted commas, yeah? Uh, they didn't make a big fuss about Yan- Yanukovych's uh, election win. Um, even though they didn't really like him. Uh, But so in other words, we had the overthrow of a democratic government through this coup, because when the French and Germans went in there, uh, they actually managed to mediate an agreement between Yanukovych and uh, the demonstrators on the street, the representatives of the demonstrations and the opposition parties headed by the likes of um, uh, Yatsenyuk and, and Klitschko, and by by which Yanukovych agreed that he would step down later in the year and then there would be further elections, right? But the hard right guys out on the street, when that was revealed to them, by the uh, when the deal was done and the, and the, the deal was actually signed by Yanukovych and the, and the French and Germans, um, the people on the street, the hard right on the street, refused to accept it. They refused to accept it. They started attacking government officers and then their allies in the parliament then immediately moved to overthrow the government. Yeah, So it was an absolute coup. And Yanukovych then feared for his life and fled, went to Russia. Um, so it was, a, it, was a, it was a complete coup, no question about it. And so how on earth can the West now talk about, you know, when they talk about continually Putin's illegal invasion, 
But what was that in 2014? Yeah. It was an illegal coup. Yeah. And this had, and, but the West immediately moved to support it. Right. And this had dire consequences for the, the Russian-speaking Ukrainians, didn't it, in the Donbass and Crimea? Yeah, and in Crimea, yeah. Yeah, and, 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 all, and particularly in Odessa, where some nearly 50 people were burned alive by uh, people who, who were against the coup regime, um, were burned alive in the trade union building in, in Odessa. Again, that was all forgotten. Nobody was tried. Nobody was prosecuted. Um, and as far as I know, still haven't been. This, so again, you know, what kind of regime is that which, which allows that kind of mass murder to take place and nobody's tried for it? So what's been going on in these Russian-speaking areas of Ukraine since 2014, coming from 2014 to 2022? Uh, war, basically. Because um, I haven't seen any on telly. <laughs> no, no, very little, very little. I mean, the, to be fair, there were a very, very few uh, documentaries. You might be able to find a couple of Newsnight, BBC Newsnight documentaries between 2014 and uh, 2022. Um, but basically, the during those years, uh, the war in the Donbass, because the, the Ukrainian government basically went to war against its own citizens. Because, of course, although those two uh, so-called republics declared their independence, yeah, after 2015 and the failure of the Minsk Accords, which the Ukrainian government failed to abide by, completely ignored, completely failed to abide by them, um, and the French and Germans, again, did nothing, uh, it didn't hold them to it. Well, that was that was Zelensky was was elected on the promise that he was going to offer more autonomy, didn't he, to the the Donbass and Crimea? Yeah, he, he was he was elected. Seventy three percent of the vote he got. He was elected on the promise to bring peace to the Donbass. He did exactly the opposite. He didn't do anything like that. So there's another lie. And as you probably know, the guy was basically a comic actor. Uh, and if you look at if you dig up some of his old uh, footage. Uh, a pretty degenerate uh, comic actor who has to be quite talented. You know, he's a, he's a talented, um, uh, a talented dancer, for example. And as far as I, I mean, I don't speak Ukrainian, but you know, I guess he's probably a you know a decent satirical comic and what have you. But if you look at some of his routines and some of the things he got involved, like you know, playing the piano with his penis and in all kinds of things, yeah. you can still see all of this on YouTube. It's amazing; it hasn't been totally taken down. Or maybe it has by now, I don't know. But last time I looked a couple of years ago, it was still there. Um, so if you bother to look into his backstory, you know, it's just... And look at how he's now treated as St. Volodymyr. And it's just incredible. Uh, so during... And his whole career was created by another billionaire oligarch in any case. Yeah? So he promised to bring peace. He didn't deliver on that. He, he lied, essentially. He did, he did nothing. And before him, Poroshenko, he'd, he'd received billions of dollars from the Americans from 2014 until until he went out of office in 2017. And then more money in, in, from 2017 by the Americans until 20, until the invasion by the Russians in 2022. That, that money's military aid, right? Uh, not only military aid, also so-called humanitarian aid, money to support the governments, money to pay welfare, you name it you know, aid of all kinds. So you, you, Ukraine is a basket case without Western support at this point and has been for a number of years. 
in addition to the corruption, which, as you said earlier, has been there for decades now. It was already there in the 1990s. So, I mean, yeah. what, what do you think made uh, Putin cross the border when he did? Putin? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, personally, you know, I, I personally think that was a big mistake. I think he should have he should have just waited. And I think the world would have seen that the Ukrainian government would have would have launched a major offensive against the Donbass, the two really? so-called people's republics, yeah, which had declared independence. Um, and then it appealed to Putin for support. I think he should have just waited and and uh, until the Ukrainians had launched that assault. But uh, Putin said um, that, uh, again, he's on record, you can see the video of, of him saying that, well, you know, when he was a street fighter back in, in, uh, in, in Leningrad as a, young, as a young boy in his teenage years, uh, you don't wait. When you're sure, when you know, when you're sure that somebody's coming for you and is going to punch you, you get in the first punch. And that's crudely, I think that's what he did. He had good reason, so he thought, that it's coming for us. But not only Ukraine is coming for us. Behind Ukraine, Ukraine is the battering ram. And what's coming for us is the West. Yeah, that's from 2014, the West had shown in its support for Ukrainian military and its support, financial military support in all kinds of ways, uh, sanctions and so on and so forth, that the West was coming for Russia. And so basically he felt, well, I'm not going to wait any longer. We're going to move against the battering ram. And that's what he did. And one other thing is, Remember that in 2014, the Americans were already looking to take Sevastopol, the, the naval base. Yeah? Crimea is important predominantly for Sevastopol. Uh, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of Russians died defending Sevastopol in the Crimean War against the British and the French in 1850s. Then more died in the war, in the, in the, the campaigns against the Nazi, the Germans in, uh, in World War II. You know, that place, a lot of Russian blood has gone into defending that place. And it's the basis of the Russian Black Sea Fleet. No way was the Russian, were the Russians going to give up or allow NATO to replace the Russian Black Sea Fleet at Sevastopol, which Yatsenyuk would have done. The, the coup regime would have handed over uh, Sevastopol to, to NATO. Of that, I'm sure, and the and the American Navy was hanging around in spring of 2014, hoping that you know something like that was going to happen. So, the Russians now, by their move and taking this land bridge from the Donbas down to the Crimea, they have, as it were, created a solid uh, base of land whereby they can ensure that Sevastopol will not be retaken by. Uh, by the Ukrainians. And then they say, well, in any case, until 1954, it was part of the Russian state. Khrushchev stupidly gave it to Ukraine. So it's only been part of Russia. It had only been part of Ukraine for what? 40, uh, sorry, uh, 70 years. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're coming up on, well, we've gone over time, but I, I like, I've enjoyed listening to you. How do you think this ends, Terry, the, the situation with Ukraine? Is there any easy way ways out where both sides can sort of keep face the other thing that's distressing to me from a western perspective is no one is talking about peace just more weapons more weapons more weapons how about some cluster bombs more weapons more weapons yeah 
Yeah. Well, I think it, it, when you look at the sheer amount of money that the Americans have put into this and the amount of <clears throat> uh, weapons, as you say, and the degree to which they're prepared to support, to which they're prepared to see the Ukrainians die for them, yep. then you realize, I think, Phil, you know, how much is riding on this and how important they think this is to take down Russia. And after that will come China. After that, they will look, if they succeed in taking down Russia, in weakening Russia to the point where Russia either breaks up from within, which is probably their hope, um, that they could then move to perhaps bring about some situation, maybe over Taiwan, where they can spark something with, with China. Because I'm convinced that the goal, the ultimate goal is to divide China, to, to divide and rule there as well. Divide and rule Russia so that they can break Russia up into smaller republics, which their corporations can move in on to help themselves to those minerals, important minerals and resources in Central, Central Asia and uh, Siberia. And to make sure that Germany and, and Central Europe and Eastern Europe, the Germanics and the Slavs never come together so that in the far future, the Slavs are not able to do what they should do. And which is basically to, in the future, to replace the culture of, of individualism, which is the role of the Germanics, yeah? to bring forward individual consciousness. But in the future, the role of the Slavs is to bring forward a new kind of communal consciousness, not the communism of the Bolsheviks, but a new kind of communal consciousness, which will be built on the achievements of the Germanic individual age of Germanic individualism. So that's what the, the Slavs have within them, is this capacity, this native capacity to, to, to bring forward a communality. That might not, not look like it yeah, at the moment, but people, it's easy to look at Russia and see all kinds of ugliness. I recognize that very well. But one can only say, look at the Germanics in the ninth century. Who would have imagined, looking at the Germanic peoples in the ninth century, what the Germanic peoples would be a thousand years later? Yeah. So we've got to keep the long, the long picture in mind here and see what capacities live within the folk souls, within the peoples of each, of each, of each uh, nation. Um, and the, the, a couple of last points. The Anglo-American elite, Phil, understand that very well. I think many of the ordinary people in, in the West don't understand it because, frankly, they're not really interested in foreign affairs. Uh, the British and the Americans have had ordinary people of very little interest in Eastern Europe. Many, very few people speak Eastern European languages, not much interest in those countries, far more focused on France and Germany, if they're focused on the continent at all. But the elite are used to looking, sending their specialists into those cultures, or any cultures for that matter, Boots on the ground as far as agents are concerned, as far as intelligence people, as far as so-called humans is concerned, human intelligence, yeah? Sussing out what capacities, what lives within the capacities of the individual peoples of the different countries, and then manipulating and using, twisting, perverting, abusing those capacities for the purposes of the Western elites themselves. This the British have been masterly at for a couple of centuries now. And the Americans haven't really got that yet. The Americans specialize in technology. Yeah? 
the British specialise in guys on the ground, and they're still doing it. Um, so I think, you know, it, it doesn't look good, but it's really important that we in, in Britain, for example, or in the West, we look at our own, you know, what, what is lies within us and, and try and understand how we are used by our own elites, by things like, you know, the St. George and the Dragon image, which lives very deep uh, within the English-speaking people. Oh, we've got to go off and rescue the, the princess, the, the beautiful princess from the, from the terrible dragon. And obviously Russia is the terrible dragon, stroke bull, stroke bear, um, you know, we've got to turn the Ukrainian bulldog on the Russian on the Russian ball stroke bear. Yeah. Um, and that's what we're doing. That's and a, we've got, a great... we as, as the British people have got to wake up and see how we are used, how we were abused by our elite in COVID and how we're being abused by our elite now. Um, I, I, is, is it the case? I, I, have, I haven't been up to date today on the news round. Uh, ben Wallace has resigned. Is that right? Have you heard that? Stepping apparently, down, apparently he's stepping down, isn't he? Mm. Yeah. Yeah, he's stepping down. I wonder if he's Great. had a, a crisis of confidence, maybe. Mm. Yeah. No. Or maybe he's just peeved that he's not going to get the Secretary Generalship of NATO. That yeah. man is such a, yeah. a low-level you know, personality, I'm afraid. It's your uh, it, more gratitude. Like that. How, Terry, how do you talk about my MP like that? <laughs> oh yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> well, um, anyway, I'm I'm glad he's gone. If he if he is indeed gone, but you know we've we've just we've just all got to wake up and show more more interest and realize you know it is a complicated story. It's not this black and white picture that I yeah. I, I showed at the beginning where people see well they're all in it together, or oh it's all the Russians bad and we're all the good guys. Yeah. yeah. Why can't we all just get along, eh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Why can't we all just get along, indeed, yeah. yeah? But the thing is, Ben, you know, I mean, if it weren't for the bad guys, who would go and see a play or a movie in which right. everybody just got along all the time, you yeah, know? Boring as hell. Yeah, spiritual <laughs> warfare, good against evil. It's the oldest story yeah, in the well, book. Mm. Yeah, I think we took, we got into that last time yeah. uh, a bit, didn't we, Phil? You know, yeah. what is the role of evil in, in world events, you know, world development? Yeah. Well, Terry, we've blown well over time. I've loved every minute of it. Um, yeah. yeah, we should we should sign off this part of the show. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you. Thank you. Um, just stay on the line for us for one minute while we play ourselves out, Terry. Right. And uh, for those of you watching, yeah, for those of you watching on YouTube, we'll be back in fifteen or twenty minutes for to do some news on part mm -hmm. two. And check out the links in the show notes if you want to follow up and. Uh, you know, check out Terry's book and his website and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, right. see you soon. See you soon. Right, then we're back. The dwarf, the cripple, and the pancreatic islets of Langerhan. What were you saying, Matt? I'd have to say it all again now. Well, yeah, because that's where I cut in. Oh, right, okay. So you yeah, just started. That, that you should would... have said we're back. It's like Christ. It's only episode two hundred ninety nine. This is cold open. Um, that was another great podcast by Terry of the Boardman. Yes, um, I was quite happy to sit and listen to that one. He's a very good orator. Tell you what, I wasn't bored, man. No, you weren't, man. <laughs> were you? Um, and uh, yeah, you'll have to come back and talk about World War One. 
Whoa, whoa, whoa. But I am I I insist he has to do it in German. Oh, we could we could overdub it. Exactly. We could do our own dubbing. Wow. Yeah. That will not go well. <laughs> Jimmy, we know what we're doing. They know what they're doing, Lair. Mm. Yeah. Right, link in the show notes. Three man.org is Terry's website. You can get the book on Amazon. Uh what have I done with my copy? Here it is. Discarded onto the floor. Western hostility to Russia. That's the uh, the cover there. It's incredibly dense. Uh, what is it? 117 pages, and it's absolutely packed. With packed info. with information, yeah. You could really, probably read uh, that in two shits, I reckon. <laughs> wow. I did, pretty <laughs> much. <laughs> no, tons of information, and a broad, you know, there's a broad historical context... And then a lot of detail, particularly with mm. what's been happening. He, he touches on all the historical epochs that we mentioned, like Napoleonic Wars, World mm. War One, World War Two, uh, Cold War, and through to the modern era and what's happening now. So, yeah, what I like out. about it is it's got a cartoon on the front page. Yeah, I enjoy. I yeah, I wish I'd just used that for some show artwork. Right. <laughs> oh, well. Right. <laughs> <laughs> should we do some? Uh, should we move on? Do some headlines. Capital letters. Our big news story. Headlines of the week. Man found with forty human skulls and spinal cords decorating his home. Court filings say. Is this the guy from Cannibal Corpse, the band? I don't know. Is or okay? is it not the Predator? It is quite Predator-esque, isn't it? It's the way he goes to his spaceship. That's all he's got, isn't it? <laughs> oh, that's, that's, a cu- that's a curious orange. <laughs> that's a curious orange. It was, yeah. Or are you thinking Krang? Krang. <laughs> Back to the techno Great minds there, the two mats Wonderful. working together. Predator has moved to Earth. Oh, yeah, yes, yes you're, you're synced. Mm. Yeah, have you been aiming for Matt's prostate? Every single time, that's why it's so huge. <laughs> <laughs> a Kentucky man was arrested after an FBI investigation led agents to discover dozens of human skulls and spinal cords decorating his apartment. The case has been linked by authorities to the nationwide Harvard morgue trafficking scheme. Do you remember this story from about a month ago? Harvard University's medical department, where they were... No, did we cover it on the podcast? Ah, I don't know if we did or not. I only know three (laughs) news stories a week. Maybe two sometimes. You know when you, uh, like, um, what do you call it, donate your body to medical science? Yeah. This is what sometimes happens. It gets sent to the Harvard Medical School and then ends up being sold on the black market and decorating some guy's flat. Wow, shit. Yeah. I see. Can I collect that payment before I donate my money? <laughs> what would you do with it? <laughs> what? No. I thought you were going to ask to decorate the flat before you. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, well, I want some input <laughs> into where my bones are going. Uh, the Harvard morgue trafficking scheme in which a network of individual, individuals were allegedly involved in trafficking human remains stolen from Harvard Medical School's morgue. FBI agents filed a federal criminal complaint and executed a search warrant at the Mount Washington home of a man identified as 39-year-old James Knott. 
and have accused him of selling human remains and for illegally possessing a firearm. The agents said they found about 40 human skulls, spinal cords, femurs, and hip bones in Knott's apartment, along with a Harvard Medical School bag, just to show where it came from. Uh, According to the complaint, the FBI agents asked Knott if anyone else was in the house before entering, to which he replied, only my dead friends. Oh, nice. Yeah, what a freak. (laughs) The agents found human remains placed decoratively around his furniture and one found wrapped in a headscarf, while another was on his bed. Do you think it was tastefully done? Feng Shui. I don't know, it's like... Roman days, isn't it? Just nail skulls, nail heads up in the forum. Yeah. You know, after Sulla's purges. Yeah, man. Decorate the forum with heads. You make a good lamp. Heads of your enemies. You crush your enemies. Are they alluding to some kind of, like, sexual stuff if there was one in in the bed? (coughs) Oh, well. Yeah, can you imagine, um, like, donating your body to medical science and just getting skull fucked forever (laughs) by some weirdo? Literally. Literally, yeah. I don't know. Allegedly. We don't know that he did that. Um, Authorities said they reviewed Knott's Facebook profile and messages and found he had bought human remains online using the alias William Burke. The Facebook page includes dealings of human remains as recently as June this year. According to the complaint, he exchanged messages with Jeremy Pauley, 40, from Pennsylvania, he was charged in the Harvard morgue case for selling human remains. Uh, I didn't get the, fo- the the photo of this guy, but he's got like one half of his face is tattooed with scales and he's had his eyeball tattooed. He's got like spikes sticking out of his head, like these extreme body mods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, weird, weird, strange. Uh, the two allegedly exchanged messages about selling and buying body parts. The body parts found in Knott's possession, however, are not believed to be from the Harvard morgue. Mm-hmm according to initial investigation. But he allegedly tried to sell them to someone connected to the case. So whatever. Uh, not sent photos and videos of human remains to Mr. Pauli and said, these will be here soon, not claimed yet, <laughs> in one of the alleged text message exchanges. Yeah, some of these prices are fucking garbage out there. I don't mind paying up a little for shop stock. Makes things look good. How much total for the couple and the last video you sent? Plus the spines. Spines. <laughs> Throw in the spines. What the fuck? What are people doing? Di- Why? Was um, William Burke of Burke and Hare fame? The body, I was just going to say, yeah, yeah, it's the grave robbers, isn't it? Mm. That's why he took that pseudonym, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. William Burke. That's how they found out. Hang on a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, during the search, FBI agents said they found a handgun and AK-47 and arrested Knott for possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. So he's a convicted felon. Knott was convicted of possession of an unregistered destructive, de- destructive device and possession of a firearm by an unlawful user of marijuana. I don't understand that. It's badly punctuated. Uh, last month, a network was uncovered. So it was last month, this story. A network was uncovered of half a dozen people involved in the ghoulish case of trafficking human remains stolen from Harvard Medical School, including employees of Harvard Medical School. They were selling the stuff. Uh They were the first point of call from the morgue. Step up from stealing stationery from work. (laughs) Yeah, toilet roll. (laughs) A spine. (laughs) Maybe you start at toilet roll. And then you graduate to stealing spines. It's a bit of a weird, you know, well, would you work in a morgue? 
I bet he would actually. Grizzly. Yeah, I don't think I'd mind working in Mark. Would you? Be quiet, wouldn't it? Be cool. Like temperature wise. What happens if it breaks? Stink. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, well, I'd be there to make sure it didn't break. My wife's uh, reading a book about someone who, who worked in a morgue and it's got horrible stories of decomposing bod- bodies in it that can't be moved out of the morgue for different reasons, for like investigations or, or stuff, things like that. Wow, it's why they have drains. Yeah. Mm. Interesting, now. Grizzly. Mm. Uh, at, le- at least six people, including the former manager of the Harvard Medical School morgue, Cedric Lodge, and his wife were charged with trafficking human remains last month. I think that's the end of the story, is it? I can't. I need to wet my finger. Gross. Shouldn't Ooh. Some crimes defy understanding, said US Attorney General M. Karam about the case. The theft of trafficking of human remains strikes at the very essence of what it what makes us humans. Okay. Yeah. Spines and skulls. Yeah. Oh my god. Grizzly. I move on to the next one. Yes, please. What's the next story? This the last story. Investigation launched after river turns fluorescent green Ooh. in Japan. A river has turned bright green after chemicals used in the making of bath salts were dumped in the water. Got a picture here. That oh. is the uh, river in question. It's not very big, is it? Uh, maybe that's not the extent of it. It looks like a little canal, doesn't it? It looks not even a canal. What would you say that is? A storm drain. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm guessing that's not a tributary of some some Mm. description of said. Where's the wildlife? (laughs) Uh, Shocked residents in the picturesque city of Ikoma in Japan. Ikoma. uh, Could hardly miss the Tatsuta River's lurid new shade yesterday morning. Mm. Environment chiefs immediately launched an investigation and warned people not to use it. They combed the riverbank and found large quantities of sodium fluorocene, fluorocene, I'm going to say fluorocene, which is usually red but turns green when it contacts the water. Mm-hmm. City officials said, There are traces <laughs> of a red substance. Dumped into the river from the road, and it was recognized that the substance left on the road turned green when water was poured on it. I like that. That was good. I was getting uh, teenage, teenage <laughs> mutant ninja turtle vibes. Yeah. Do you know what I'm going? I'm going for um, ambassador, ambassador of the Galactic Trade Federation. Oh yeah, from oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. <laughs> yeah. That's, I think, as close as I can get to a Japanese accent. Yeah, I'll do. It is believed that this caused the river water to become a colored sodium fluorescein. The main component of coloring agents used in the bath salts was detected. And just a hint of Jar Jar Binks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah? Anyone do a Jar Jar Binks? Um... I don't think we're allowed, are we? Could just do that. No, that's Brian Blessed, isn't it? Oh, I thought they all did it. He's like the toady one. 
Misa, Usa, Uja, Ja, Wanka. Oh no, I'm doing that's Jabba, isn't it? Wow. What a mess. Uh, they added, <laughs> the safety data sheet of sodium fluorescine states that uh, there are no physical or chemical hazards or health hazards. <laughs> Lovely. That's all he's saying. Lovely. Well, It'll be fine, yeah. Oh, yeah, will it be fine? It'll be fine. Just yeah. wait till the fucking frogs turn gay. I don't like them putting chemicals in the water that turn the friggin' frogs gay. Japanese frogs, man. Yeah. How he's doing that lawsuit? AJ? Yeah. Didn't he get fined $4 billion or something? <laughs> something like, like that. the biggest fine, apart from pharmaceutical companies, obviously. They got the biggest fines, but like the second biggest mm. corporate fines ever mm. for uh, the uh, the handy suck yeah. tragedy. Uh, yeah, so I think that's the end of the headlines. Should we move on? Moving on. Yeah, let's see, what's, let's see what's coming up next. First on BBC One, Prince Andrew becomes part of Jimmy Savile's dream team. Housekeeping. Let's see some housekeeping. Housekeeping. This is a value for value podcast. If you find this podcast valuable, please consider it as a value. No! Uh, Helen, I've just. <laughs> What's that mean? Helen in the chat saying, Phil, please say, hmm, gelfing. What on earth does that mean? <laughs> Mr. Miyagi. Do you know what she means? That's Tony. Oh, the comment underneath that. I know, yeah. Please say, hmm, gelfing. I don't get the reference. I don't, I don't know what gelfing is. Maybe, have you not got to do it in the Is this any young, young people's thing Maybe that we're not aware of? Hmm, a gelfing Goldfinger. Goldfinger. <laughs> <laughs> so, my favourite way of becoming a producer, dropping your eavesdropping proclivities mm. and becoming a producer of this podcast is word of mouth. Mm. Um, tell people about this shit show. Wherever you are online, maybe you're in Telegram groups, Facebook groups, uh, Discord servers, Twitter. Threats. You know, gouge people in the eyes with this shit. <laughs> I can't find it. Oh, right, okay. Um, <coughs> have you said about signing up for the newsletter? That, a new one of those will be coming out soon, in another half a month. Is it that soon? Again, yeah, and it's got... What does ago. what does the newsletter have in it, Ben? Gouge's eyes! There we go. It's got... Uh, who's who's going to be on the show in the next month? Yeah, uh, it's got your column in it. It's got my column in it. <laughs> yeah. Phil normally does a book review or puts some thoughts down. Um, or, you know, maybe like a travel log if we go somewhere. Um, we threatened, didn't we, to go to the uh, the Lady's Finger in the Lake District, do you remember? The Lady's Finger? Do you remember? We talked about that, didn't we? Oh, yeah, I wanted to go there and meditate and just sort of sing to myself. <laughs> it didn't happen. To ruin it for everyone, don't you? How flippant. Um, uh, it's got what's, we said what, what's coming up, haven't we? Uh, while, while you're talking about uh, lady fingers, um, how do you know a mechanic? How do you know a mechanic's got a girlfriend? Don't know. It's got two clean fingers. Gross. <laughs> um, if you're on the YouTube, I, I can see everybody in the chat is, is suggesting that they smash the like button, sub, yeah. comment, 
ring that bell. It's good for the algorithms, it isn't is, it? Isn't it? Leave us a review as well elsewhere. We'll read it out if we see it. We'll select comments as well, won't we? From time to time, if we find one that we enjoy. It's a home dinger. It is. Um, buy some merch. Where from? from? The merch store. It'll be in the show notes. Or you can go to our website, thearmishinquisition.com. Got a new t-shirt up. Come. Oh. You are the carbon they want to reduce is the newest design. It is, isn't In it? the uh, merch store, oh, we've yeah. got the bacon nuts, the massively popular bacon nuts t-shirt. Yeah. Massive. <laughs> Two units sold or something. And uh, the mug, because why not? Uh, this is my favourite, Three Weeks to Flatten the Earth, that design mm. by Lee from the Big Conspire. He donated that design to us, and we slapped it on a T-shirt, slapped it on a plastic lunchbox, and now you're going to sell it. You're going to sell it. Spaceballs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jurassic Park. Oh, right. oh, my God, I'm wearing a T-shirt. I'm wearing, oh, my God. I'm, I'm, I'm doing an, an impersonation of Dr. Ian Malcolm. <laughs> oh, God, don't. There he is. Oh, please, stop He's wriggling. <laughs> it says... Uh, it's a picture of Dr. Ian Malcolm, and it says, Life finds a way. Life finds Someone a way. go around at the park looking up the dinosaur's skirts. <coughs> mm. uh, yeah, uh, was that the end of the merch? I think there was one more. We got the Three Weeks to Flatten the Earth T-shirts, and, oh, the literally a communist hoodie, mm. and uh, the logo there. So, yeah, if you go to uh, the show notes or the website or whatever, you'll find a link to the Amish loot chest, the merch store. You get something to keep, we get a cut. Mm. Yep. Um, you can join the Element server, can't you? Um, you have to join all the rooms, talk to us, um, send guest suggestions, news videos, articles, time-stamped, all that kind of stuff. Show artwork. Show artwork. Oh, yeah, we've got a submission. Look, look, yeah. look at this, Matt. Look at this. 289. Oh, oh it's Matt. This is the... Uh, we have new show artwork for the podcast every week. Okay, have you, got, have you got any shades? Oh my God, are you two for two now, Matt? Yeah, yeah, it's had some interesting feedback. What did, uh, well, here it comes. Two, oh, eight, he's, making, nine. he's making the screen strobe. Ugh, gouge my eyes. <laughs> <laughs> gouge his eyes! Gouge your eyes with some artwork. So I've been told that you can't, you can't do red backgrounds on the text. Well, just coloured coloured um, drop shaders, coloured. drop shadows are just a big no-no. Okay. I would suggest. You know, I've tried this in the past and, and it never looks, it doesn't generally look right. But I liked, um, you know, Lee um, had a, yeah. a, a, a critique of your artwork. Uh, <laughs> Lee said, that is a truly hideous piece of art. If there is a chance of a static picture inducing <laughs> epilepsy, this is it. <laughs> Vomiting emoji. Right. And okay. I concur. I mean, it's going on the thing, though, isn't it? Well, <laughs> you know, that's the only submission we got, so that's all it is. Helen did put one up, but it was we had a change of topic with the guest. Yes. By the way, if you join the Elements server, you find out who's coming on. I mean, uh, join... Just, uh, just one more comment on this. <laughs> what, what podcast is it for, Matt? Uh, 289. <laughs> 289, yeah. Hey, I don't. I don't put the show title in the, the show name in my artwork. Uh, it's just got the wrong number on, isn't it? Are we on two eight nine eight then? <laughs> oh no, no! no oh, the stream is wrong. It's a live error. <laughs> it's uh, it's. This is my error. This is my error. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think. 
Yeah, well, I've not done, I've not fixed something. There you go. I two eight nine. <laughs> it was always two eight nine. <clears throat> it was. We've always been at war with Eurasia. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, the, he was right. You know, he mentioned nine eight four. Eurasia and East Asia. And well, there's three, isn't there? Oceania. Yeah, Oceania. Mm. Oceania. Yeah. So Oceania would be the Anglosphere. <clears throat> And then you had East Asia and Eurasia. East Asia being the Far East and Eurasia being like the Eastern Europe and Middle Russia. East. Yeah. Wouldn't you? Yep. Yeah. How oh else can God. you become a producer? Any other ways? Um, Is there anything else you can do in the Elements server? Focus Chi. Focus Chi. Birthdays. Guest suggestions. Have we got any focus cheese suggestions? With no week? focus cheese. Maybe people don't know how it works, so they don't know. Oh, if you don't know how it works by now, you're in need of some focus cheese. Well, why <coughs> don't you explain how it works, Ben? So what we do is, if you have a uh, an aim, a goal you'd like to achieve, or you're experiencing some troubles with something or other. In, in the form of depleted cheese. In the form of depleted cheese, we mm. feel that, as a trio, we are able to supply some of our overflowing chi in your general direction. It's not just us as a trio, it's everyone listening as well. It's the entire community focuses well, chi. Well. Not just us three. Is it then, really? Yes, it is. That's how it works. But we're the main ones. <laughs> no, we're communists. <laughs> we're, we're, we're literally... Literally... A Literally. <laughs> the best mate. Wonderful. That'll yeah, do. so I mean, the community can focus whatever spare chi they may have knocking around mm. towards your um, towards your goal. Also, email us at thearmsinquisition at gmail.com or um, put your, your request in the element server and we will focus our chi in your direction for your given aim. Mm. And it's incredibly effective. It no is. refunds. How would you even get a chi refund? Would you have to sort of bend over and gape? No? I don't think it's that involved. <laughs> I think you've got to use a chi trainer. What's all that? It's just something that helps you train your chi, and then you can expunge it. Could you use a parabolic chi mirror to deflect unwanted chi? Yeah, but let's not talk about the technology. Uh, is, okay. the, is, is chi polar? Is a dark chi and light chi? I, I'll have to ask my <laughs> tai chi master. <laughs> is it not dark energy? I think there is. I think there is. So it's about yin and yang. Yeah. Yeah, there is dark chi, but we don't mess with that shit. No. Okay. Um, is that everything? There's one more thing. You could toss us a coin. Toss a coin Absolutely. to your witcher. For the lads. For lads. 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 Do you know, we know what we're doing. They know what they're doing, Leia. Go to armistinquisition.com. You'll find a PayPal button there and you can give us a one-off donation. Sign up for a monthly recurring sustaining donation. And you get a producer credit, credit. in the show notes. These credits are real, you know. Put them. Where do you put them? They don't grow on Put trees. them on your LinkedIn. I mean, your CV. Um, you could link with us on LinkedIn, and you know, if someone messaged us on LinkedIn, we'd message them back. You put it on your IMDb. IMDb, yeah. Could have it tattooed on your forehead. 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 Yeah. Curriculum vitae. Yeah. Yeah. 
You could um you could get a, a badge made, fabricated, and stitch it to your waistcoat. Yeah. <laughs> you your waistcoat. Yeah. Your waistcoat. Yeah. He wears waistcoats these days. <laughs> could do. You could um put it on your fridge. Yeah. In fridge magnet form. You could yeah, you could. You could get a fridge magnet made and then stick it on the fridge. You could write it on Sharpie, in Sharpie rather, on leaves. Yeah. <laughs> And let them blow through the wind. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Or just leaves that are attached oh, to buskers. Mighty boosh. I thought you were going into uh, Al Pacino there. Oh. <laughs> what? No. I can't do Al Pacino. No. I can't, I can't do anyone. I can't do anyone. I can butcher a few people. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, so you can do that. And I think that's it. That's all you can do. Right, okay, let's thank them then. Shall we thank the producers for episode 289? I think it's time. It's time to big up the man Dems, yo. Who've we got? We've got uh, Emma Bridges. We got our first super chat. We did. Ooh. That's a thing. Apparently on YouTube you can do a super chat. Ooh. Or super thanks. Uh, who else have we got? Someone who bought coffee. Oh, So we yes. got coffee, but no name was attached. So it is someone who bought coffee. Anonymous coffee, you, coffee is well drinker. received. Yeah. Uh, who else we got? Ha- Al's, Helen, and Johnny Fong. Thank you. Oh, Willie G. And you're so amazing. Oh, yeah. And you love. So amazing. And their love. Literally. The best mate. Because I'm literally a communist. The currents, the grape, the doctor of thugonomics, the homophobe, the winds, the giant fucking lenses, the chest feeding, communist, the base sigma chat, the corn pop, the baby penis, inner asshole. This is such a crock of species. These clockwork clowns, the dime bar, the number 11, the bean gang on the bus, the Big Jungus, the cripple and the mother of the Honey Pickering! From hell. How dare you? Let me Are you retarded? Fucking vegan. I don't get it, never will. Yeah, so thanks for your support for another week. Yeah, I skipped over that. We got a, a YouTube super thanks. I didn't even know. I must have like hit a slider, making how's, us eligible. How's it work? You just go to the YouTube video and where where there's like a bar underneath where it says like like share, copy whatever. There is a, like a thank you button if you're watching it after the event. All right. You click on that and it'll say two pounds, five pounds, ten pounds, or something like that. Oh, you nice. can just, assuming you're on, I think you probably have to be on YouTube <laughs> Premium, so they already have your details, don't they? Yeah. Hmm. Or if you're watching live, yeah, super chats. I, don't, I guess it'll work the same way and we'll get a notification and that your chat message will go to the top of the... I wonder if it's good for the algo. Of course it is. Yeah. Of course it is, as far as YouTube are concerned. Fantastic. So, yeah, we probably should encourage it, but of that £2, I think we saw £1.9. Bloody hell. YouTube takes most, a, a big chunk of it. Yeah. You know. Wow. Yeah, well, but like you say, I think it's probably good for the algo. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know... Thank you. How else are you going to do it? Just no. Mail me doubloons. <laughs> I like doubloons. Shave off bits Cashola. of silver 
going on holiday next week. I need cash. Yeah, cash money, man. Cash money. Cash, mm-hmm. cash, 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 cash. I'm totally at sixes and seven, man. I mean, what we've done the... Are you ever is that not the housekeeping? Housekeeping sixes done. and sevens. Polished. Oh, just fuck off. <laughs> Would you care to join me in some empirical research? <laughs> well, that reminds me of late nineties internet. Wow. Oops. Yeah, that's just my button I hit when I need to pad. End oh. of show isons. That's what we do at this point. Okay. I've got four. Ooh. Four end of show isolating clips. Which one should we do first? Let's do three. <laughs> Let's do this one. Wake up, people! Snap out of it! Roseanne Barr. That was Roseanne, Roseanne yeah. yeah. That's pretty good, I thought. It's okay. It's a bit long. Wake up, yeah. people! Snap out of it! Right. The snap is good. Snap! <coughs> should, it, should it just be snap out of it, do you think? I think so, Would that yeah. work better or wake up people? Snap out of it! Just a snap out of it? Yeah. Okay, well, let's try it. Snap out of it! Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Does that? That's number one. What about this one? I do it for God. I do it for God. No, not nah, liking not that. Keen on that. All right, let's. Uh, the next one. Mm. Now then, you know there's been a big uh, distraction of the week story this week. Hugh Edwards. Oh yeah. And uh, I've been following it a fair bit and seeing all the funny clips on Twitter and uh, YouTube and whatnot, and. From what I've seen, I haven't seen any other YouTuber or podcaster pick up this clip before. You should know that I am programmed by the BBC to tell the truth. That's pretty cool, isn't it? You like that? Yeah. You should know that I am programmed by the BBC to tell the truth. Again, I'd like to trim down to just I am programmed by the BBC. You should know that I am programmed by the BBC to tell the truth. Mm, okay. You're, te- oh. you're testing me. Programmed by the BBC. Programmed by the BBC. I'm programmed by the BBC. A bit further. I'm programmed by the BBC. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I just want to cut out that you should know. That I am programmed by the BBC. Oh, that I am programmed by the BBC. Forward a bit. Just a little bit. bit. Oh. Yeah. It doesn't help when you've got sausage fingers. <laughs> You're trying to... This screen is tidy. <laughs> that I am programmed by the BBC. Yeah. No. Oh, that I am programmed by the BBC. And what do you want? What do you even want? It's just a little bit more. <laughs> 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 you just want a bit off the front. Uh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you just want a trim. Just a trim. A trim off the front. I've gone too far. But I am programmed by <laughs> no, the BBC. It's the same. It's the same. I am programmed by the BBC. Uh, that and I is one word. I'm never going to be able to. Oh, no, that's too far. I am programmed by the BBC. I'm, <laughs> I'm programmed by the BBC. I'm programmed by the BBC. There you go. I'm programmed by the BBC. That's not even the last one. I've got one more. What about this one? I have to stop these people. They have to be stopped. 
no, I'm going to say programmed by the BBC. That's yeah. a great end of show Can clip, you... though. I have to stop these people. They have to be stopped. Can you just trim it down a little bit more to <laughs> programmed by the BBC? <laughs> I have to stop these people. They have to be stopped. So you want you want the the uh, the, the BBC one? Can you get him saying, "I do it for God"? <laughs> I'm programmed by the BBC. I do it for God. Uh, I can't make him say something he hasn't said. What am I, go- what am I going for? What's the point of AI? What am I doing this one, then? I'm programmed by the BBC. I like that one better. Right, OK. Decided. For fuck's sake. <sighs> Jesus. Smegging. It's un- unbesmegging leaveable. Unbesmegging leaveable. Right, that's the end of show I saw taken care of. Uh, some video clips. Well, we're talking about Hugh Edwards. That was a big distraction story. What do you two think about it? I think it was a big distraction story. What was dumped? Uh, oh, I thought it was the Osborne thing that I put in the. Did I put that in the thing? It was earlier on, wasn't it? Do you know what? But do you not think that the Osborne wedding was um, uh, a sham? Yeah, because it wasn't. Who is it, it Sharon Osborne? I thought I'd read that it was. It wasn't just stop oil. It was that wasn't true. Yeah. Apparently it was a... They just had orange confetti. Yeah. <laughs> it was just an orange-themed wedding. Yeah. Was it a colour revolution? Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's something to Yushchenko. I don't think the timeline works with the uh, Osborne story. Because apparently the Sun were working on the Hugh Edwards story on the Wednesday before the anonymous email, the poison letter went out on Thursday evening. People don't care about timelines or whether it flows yeah, forward or backwards. I care about causality. <laughs> and, you know, the cause has to happen before the effect, though. Mm. I'm trying to make sense of it. Unless, you know, time's a complete man-made construction. Right. And uh, we're leaving the Matrix, which is possible. <laughs> yeah. uh, some people were saying maybe it was to cover from the COVID inquiry stuff and, and Bojo not handing his phone over. Is he still? Is he refused? I thought he. He's forgot the pin. He can't <laughs> get in it. So such a joke. Oh, he can't. Off. He can't do it. I thought. Right. When, when, <laughs> I, when I last read about it, he had <laughs> said that he, he, his office was saying to not hand it over, and he was saying he, they should. But um, it's all just nonsense. Is that what he said? Uh, toss, toss elizu, mub. Nice. Uh, toss elizu, mab. <laughs> Sausage, definitely it's sausage. So has he? Is that what's really happened? It's not handed yeah. his phone over. No, he won't. All right. It will have to be prized from his dead hands from probably. the North Sea because of that the incriminating shit that will be all over his mm. WhatsApp messages and Wankok mm. and Valance and all the rest of them. Yeah. But you know, what do we know? Well, nothing. I don't know anything. Mother hooded uh, and apple pie. <laughs> Do you know, do you know? <laughs> when was the last time we played Doctor Nurse Gladys? I know. Applehood and Mother Pie. Mm. It's like you read... Applehood and Mother Pie. You read my Applehood and Mother Pie. Mm. So, yeah, so there it is. Um, oh, fucking hell. Is it worth... Well, before we finish on, Hugh, I know you're a big fan of Katie Hopkins, Ben. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, love her. And uh, she had a good take. I think she had the best take on the Hugh Edwards thing that I've seen. 
Thus far, it's only a short clip, if I can find it. Here we are, Hopkins on Hugh, incoming. And the thing I wanted to say most of all, and the real reason uh, that I'm here ranting, is thank God for strong women. Strong women, like the wife of Phil Schofield. Strong women, like the wife of Hugh Edwards. Not there for any of the praise, not there for any of the plaudits, not there getting the applause, not there getting the, oh, isn't Hugh magnificent? Oh, isn't Philip so nice? None of that. And yet still the ones who are right there, you know, picking up the pieces of the <laughs> show that their husbands have delivered onto them, onto their children and onto their families. So on a very positive note, thank God for strong women and full hats off um, to the wives who are picking up the pieces behind these men. I think that's fair enough. No one's mm. been talking about... It was it was his wife who had to make the statement in the end. I know. Maybe because... I had a quick look, because I was interested. I never sort of knew if he had any kids or anything. He's got five children, hopefully all adult, so, you know, maybe um, slightly lessons to blow but i'm not sure um of what he's done and maybe the other thing as well is you don't know not excusing what he's done the nature of the relationship they might have been separated for years or something and it's just a facade or whatever but you might have an agreement that he messages young girls (laughs) and and sends snap snappity chats of his arse allegedly (laughs) Just what were you thinking, man? I know, but it's fucking... Are you retarded? so retarded. It smacks of a... At the the best, that's what it is. A a man in his late 50s not knowing how the internet works. (laughs) (laughs) Do you not think? Like um, programming a video video recorder. Yeah, exactly. We don't know. We we only get half the story. We don't know what he's done or what he hasn't done. Mm. You know, but... Do you think there's a little bit of... I am untouchable when you get to that sort of level of fame or quote-unquote success. I was wondering about a little bit about psychopathic tendencies and getting to the <clears throat> top of, um, you know, hierarchical organisations. And he was being a, he was a news anchor, wasn't he? I, you know, I don't think newsrooms... From in, news I, anchor to news wanker. <laughs> and I don't... And I believe that uh, live TV... From the very little that I know about, is is not a very nice place to work, and how people are spoken to, and the kind high, of culture that goes on there. High pressure, isn't it? <clears throat> yeah, I've spoken to a few people in my professional life who've worked in TV, and they, and it's horrible <laughs> by the sounds of it how like you're treated and stuff. Um, you, you yeah, but I don't know. You know, we're all guessing, aren't we? Yeah. I just think it's stupid more than that's the the main takeaway I have because we don't know just judging on what we actually know he's done. Mm. Who knows what what hasn't been admitted to or what's under NDA? It's mm. like the thirty five grand over three three years. Mm. You, you don't pay them for for nudes. I think there's more to that. Is that for an NDA? Mm. Interestingly, it's the parents who sold who came out to the newspaper yeah. and the the person in question denied it. Which we, you would have to if you're under an NDA. You're taking 35 grand to sign a contract saying that. But, you know, the parents won't be under such mm. an NDA. It's pure speculation. I don't know. Mm. But it's a just, big old mess. It's a complete mess and mm. a distraction because, you know, assuming if we take <laughs> take them all at the word, he hasn't done anything criminal. Mm. 
or at least no one knows of any criminal activities done, then it's just, yeah, like you said, a big old mess and a, a complete distraction from for, for more important things like cluster munitions and such. Mm-hmm. You know, but we shall see. We'll see what happens. Let's get off um, off that shit show of a story. I wonder if it's worth, you know, um, back in part one, Terry mentioned the famous Victoria Newland um, recorded leaked telephone call mm-hmm. between her. She was Secretary of State, I think, which is like equivalent of Foreign Secretary, the US, talking to the US ambassador to the Ukraine. I wonder if it's worth playing, playing the clip. Because no one, it's like most people, oh, I'm preaching to the crowd here, but most people, like people who get the news from BBC, they have no idea that shit like this goes on the backroom dealings and how the US basically decides who's going to run the, the Ukrainian country. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is it worth it? Have people heard it? Is it worth me playing it or not? Well, it's I think you should play it for me. Because it, it? I mean, it ends with fuck the EU, which is great. The way <laughs> Victoria Newland's fuck the EU. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's so nice. I've got, I've got another wrinkle for you here. She's talking <laughs> to the ambassador. Another wrinkle, blah, blah, blah. Oh, oh yeah, fuck the EU. <laughs> it's, it's like, well, it's psychopathic probably. I'll play mm-hmm. it. And I can go for a piss because it's four minutes long. Oof. What do you think? If you want to pause it, hit the blue button top left. Okay. If you want to um, deconstruct any of it as That's it goes. too much pressure, man. I'm not it's really man, easy. I think we're in play. Um, the the uh, Klitschko piece is obviously the complicated electron here. Um, as- complicated electron because he's not a human. It's just, you know, a piece of... It's like uh, he's mechanizing it, uh, dehumanizing the situation. It's atomizing. I, yeah, and Klitschko is... Uh, obviously, he's, he's got a little bit of... Is it... So the Vladimir is, is the other one. Is it Vitaly? Vitaly was, was the yeah. politician. Yeah, so it's Vitaly. Was he the mayor of Kiev? Still is. Yeah, and he, he ran for president, didn't he, or prime minister, whatever. Oh, no, have. he wasn't allowed... The US wouldn't allow it. That's what I mean. There was talk of it. I remember, because I kind of remember this, the story of the orange guy who was poisoned, wasn't he? Wasn't he? Yeah. Um, I always think Litvinenko, but that's the Russian guy, isn't it, in, in London? Luke, not Lukashenko. Lukashenko, isn't it? That's it, isn't it? Not Lukashenko, is it? Lukashenko? Lukashenko? Yeah. Lukashenko, Poroshenko. All right, come on. Especially the announcement of him as Deputy Prime Minister. And, and you've seen some of my notes on the troubles in the marriage right now. So we're trying to get a read really fast on where he is on this stuff. But I think your argument to him, which you'll need to make, I think that's the next phone call we want to set up, is exactly the one you made to, to Yachts. And I, I'm glad you sort of put him on the spot on where he fits in this scenario. And I'm very... Yachts. Yachts is Yatsenyuk. He was the other guy who was All right. vying to be the leader. The new leader. Very glad he said what he said in response. Good. So uh, I don't think Cleach should go into the government. I don't think it's necessary. I don't think it's a good idea. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess... Some heavy oh, lifting there. Oh, wow, that's like another thing I've got to do now. <laughs> what a nightmare. You think... <laughs> In terms of him not going into the government, just let him sort of stay out and do his political homework and stuff. I'm just thinking in terms of sort of the process moving ahead, we want to keep the moderate Democrats together. The problem is going to be Tony Boak and his guys. And, you know, I'm sure that's part of what Yanukovych is calculating on all of this. Um, I'm I, kinda... I, I just... 
I think Yats is the guy who's got the economic experience, the governing experience. He's, he's the guy, you know, what he needs is Cleach and Tani Book on the outside. He needs to be talking to them four times a week, you know. I, I, I just think Cleach going in, he's going to be at that level working for Yats and Yuk. It's just not going to work. Yeah, no, I think that's, you know? I think that's right. Okay. Good. Well, do you want us to try to set up a call with him as the next step? My understanding from that call, but you tell me, was that the big three were going into their own meeting and that Yats was going to offer in that context a, a three-way, you know, the three-plus-one conversation or three-plus-two with you. Is that not how you understood it? This is just project management. Yeah. <laughs> Do you recognize I mean, it? Country, a, yeah. a democratic country. Yeah, I reckon I could organize a coup. Yeah. He's pissed. No, I think, I mean, that's what he proposed, but I think just knowing the dynamic that's been with them where um, Klitschko has been the top dog, he's going to take a while to show up for whatever meeting they've got, and he's probably talking to his guys at this point. So I think you reaching out directly to him helps with the personality management among the three, and it, and it gives you also a chance to move fast on all this stuff and put us behind it, behind it before they all sit down and he, um, he explains why he doesn't like it. Okay, good. I'm happy. Why don't you reach out to him and see if he wants to talk before or after? Okay, will do. Thanks. Okay, I've now written... Oh, one more wrinkle for you, Jeff. Yeah. I uh, can't remember if I told you this or if I only told Washington this, that when I talked to Jeff Feltman this morning, he had a new name for the UN guy, Robert Seri. Did I write yeah. you that this morning? Yeah, okay. I saw that. He's now gotten both Seri and Ban Ki-moon to agree that Seri could come in Monday or Tuesday. Okay. Ban Ki-moon, do you remember him? Yeah, Ban Ki-moon, yeah. yeah. UN. United Nations. Yeah. Mm. Got him on side. It was Kofi Annan the guy before him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that would be great, I think, to help glue this thing and have the UN help glue it. And, you know, fuck the EU. <laughs> no, exactly. And I think we've got to do something to make it stick together because... You can be pretty sure that if it does if it does start to gain altitude, the Russians will be working behind the scenes to try to torpedo it. And again, the fact that this is out there right now, I'm still trying to figure out in my mind why Yanukovych that. But in the meantime, there's a party of regions faction meeting going on right now, and I'm sure there's a lively argument going on in that group at this point. But uh, anyway, we could uh, we could land jelly side up on this one if we move fast. So let me work on. Let me work on Klitschko, and if you can just keep – I think we want to try to get somebody with an international personality to um, come out here and help to midwife this. Midwife? Help midwife this, yeah. And, oh, this is a great – there's a Biden bit coming up. Oh. <laughs> Biden's vice president. Yeah. From 2014. Blue, blue is accountable. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not doing it. Thing. And then the other the other issue is some kind of outreach to Yanukovych, but we probably regroup on that tomorrow as we see how things start to fall into place. So on that piece, Jeff, uh, when I wrote the note, uh, Sullivan's come back to me. Uh... That's Jake Sullivan. I think he's currently uh, Secretary of State. Mm. Oh. He was involved in this. A VFR saying you need Biden, and I said probably tomorrow for an attaboy and to get the deets to stick. An attaboy. We well need done. Biden for another boy mm. and get the details to stick. So okay. Biden's willing. Okay. And great. he's up for it. Thanks. He's up for it. And he'll get his summer mm. job at a Ukrainian oil company called Purisma. A, 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 a board member, 50 grand a year mm-hmm. consultation job. This is how the world works, people. Project management. <laughs> 
So it's the illusion of democracy. I know. This is how it works. Magical. <laughs> anyway, I'm more funny thing. Do you want to see a man wrestle a python? Again? <laughs> it's from uh, Florida. Did we, did we not watch this last week? No. It's a different one. Which python? <laughs> I thought we did this every week. <laughs> That's a new oh, one. no, that was a guy beating a guy up with a python. <laughs> python news. Oh, this is a, con- uh, a, a contraction. Huh? A containment. <laughs> this is a containment effort. It's a midwife, this clip. He's, he has to midwife this uh, python into submission. It's uh, a proper Steve Irwin job, this, but it's a bit it's a bit hairy. Snake phobias. What's uh, What would be the term like arachnophobia is for your spiders? Oh. What would be a, a snake phobia? Slitherophobia. Parcelphobia. Parcelphobia. I don't know. for snake? I know, I was just wondering that. I don't Or Greek. Serpice. Orphophobia. Orphophobia, maybe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I like that. Yeah. I don't know. Losing it, Jake. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh my God. Oh, my God. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Let's go. This is some random dude, this. Oh. It's like the biggest Burmese python ever. Ever? In Florida, yeah. Oh, right. Ever yeah. to be documented in Florida. Yeah, yeah. He just goes straight in there. He nearly gets bit and killed <laughs> and constricted. I wonder what would have happened if he had actually managed to coil around him. What would you do? In would that? have been him well, if he was on his own? That's what I mean, but these other people, would, what would you have gone in with? Death. Uh, <laughs> would you, like, shine your uh, phone's torch in its eyes? I don't know. Kill it with fire, no? We'd have to, like, I don't know, we'd have to get an axe, like, chop it or something without chopping him. Would you bite it in the throat? Oh, God. <laughs> wow. We're I don't such know if it deconstricts. We're after... such shitty mammals, aren't we? <laughs> we don't have teeth for shit like that. Not anymore. <laughs> We'd just be like giving it a Frenchie. Ooh. <laughs> a love bite. You might die happy. <laughs> you got tape on you? I know you carry tape. <laughs> What the fuck? Carry tape. Someone's got his tail, though. I've got a Maxwell. How much do you think that thing weighs? I bet that's fucking heavy, that thing. Yeah, it will be. Do you think, 100 pounds? Do you think he needed to, to like, wrestle it, roll around on the floor with it at any point? Do you think he's playing for the camera? Yeah. I mean... Because <laughs> these, these essentially are pests or vermin now, aren't they? They're not native to Florida, but because of the climate... The... the, the People release them. It's because of global climate warming change. No, because people have them as pets, don't they? And then obviously they can survive in the wild there because of the conditions, because mm. it's tropical or whatever. Um, so, uh, yeah, so what he should have done is got his spade and whacked it over the head. Or should have gouged its eyes. Fucking uh, Matt, Matt Apocalypse in the chat. Orphidiophobia. Nice. Orphidiophobia. Hey, we were close, weren't we? We yeah. knew it was orphic. You it was orphic. Orphidious. Chainsaw, yes. Fuck the guy. Dragon glass. Yeah, that'd work. Obsidian. Mm. That kills pythons, no? Yeah. If it's pointy enough. About okay. the tooth of a basilisk. <laughs> basilisk, yeah. We're not destroying horcruxes here. <laughs> well, are we not? <laughs> Dude, that is rocking. Oh dear, that, that dear. Is, that, Look, is that is racket. That is racket. <laughs> it's such a it's so, suddenly looks quite big now. 
It's massive. Yeah, it didn't look that big before. I think it was 11 foot long. <laughs> 11 foot. Oof. And it looks like nearly a foot wide, about eight inches. I bet its circumference, I'm going to say, is um, 400 mil. Wow. It's girthy. Over a foot. At the biggest, at its fattest. At its biggest point. Mm. Hey. Oh my god. You fucking sit on it. Thank you so oh, much. Jake, you need some tape. Loosen it, Jake. Oh, f- Gleeds, boys. Good, good catch there. Yeah, look at him. I mean, you're lucky you're not getting your, your loose hand. Got to, have you got to control its head? Is that how you... Do you never used to watch Steve Irwin? Well, Always. he just used to dive on things, and that led to his untimely death, didn't it? Well, wasn't it something benign that killed him? No, uh, he jumped ray. on a stingray, and it pierced his heart. The, the, yeah, but that was that was incredibly un- unfortunate, was it not? Exactly, Unlucky. because he was diving on things all the time. Right. Without thinking. Put this on your head. <laughs> Are you retarded? <laughs> As we like to say in these parts. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I still would have gone in with the spade. Spade to the head. Pow. I think you're too slow, man. I think he's right. I'm too slow. Yeah. Well, any a human with it trying to wield a spade. If you miss, you're fucked. You're dead. I think he's right. I think hand-eye coordination. Think you're I, dead. I, I, you've got fast hands. Your hands can move quicker than trying to wield a heavy weapon. You know, just stamp its head. <laughs> well, cause he you got to get his head on the ground. It well, was, was coming at him. It was coming at him. It was in the air. And he grabbed it. He could have just stomped its head, surely. But and Although they weren't trying to kill it, they were trying to rescue it. So that would have been... Not good. Maybe they're going to throw it in the sea. Sea snake. Mm. Oh, they're, they're amphibious now, are they? Do they live in uh, or not? Not so. Anacondas. Uh, anacondas live in rivers, don't they? Yeah, I think they like a bit of water. I learned that from that J Lo movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a classic. It is. Ice Cube. Yeah, it's a good film, man. Fuck off. Well, it's a fucking good film. Do you know what happened earlier in the in the podcast as we were listening to Terry? I felt a little tickle under my cuff and I looked down and a fly flew out. <laughs> and then it wouldn't leave me alone then. It kept landing on me. Oh, made wow. And then it was like, um, I felt, oh God, do you know when you get a little bit tickly and you think, oh, I've just had something on me. I kept getting the tickles at the back of my uh, head. Like what a treat. <laughs> Have you got fecal matter on you or something? Is that the attraction? Uh, probably. I've had both of my children climbing all over me all day, yeah. That's sea bounty. Yeah. It's, it's just a light coating. Yeah, it's just does. laid eggs in your veins. Probably. By now, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Jeff Goldblum, right. Mm. Okay, and finally... Um, <laughs> should, we, should we finish? Should we wrap this shit show up? Yeah. I've got to play this clip from yesterday. Vice President Kamala Harris. I don't know if I, uh, I'm sure most people on Twitter will have seen this by now, but she's got her uh, her three prime fixes for climate change. Stop a, the boats! No, not that one. <laughs> that's a different one. <laughs> Who's is that? Suella Braverman. It's uh, yeah, Suella, isn't it? Is she? I mean, they need to do something about that because people are dying in the is fucking channel and in the med mm. from through this economic migration. I mean, they need to do something. How about stop the black market? Like the people, they, they all pay, don't they? They pay money to be trafficked yeah. across <clears throat> these bodies of water. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it, well, when I read about it, you don't know how much is true. It's just 
close to starting. Well, he sets sail from Tunisia, primarily, I've heard. Right. Um, which is a bit of a failed state, isn't it? From uh, Did it not spread from Libya? Libya's the worst. They, they have an active slave trade in Libya. Gross. Um, so, but that, you know, that was... We was, came, we saw, he died, yes. as Hillary Clinton said. So we, we fucked all that up, and then yep. I think it kind of spread, didn't it, to uh, Tunisia. Well, uh, Libya was part of the West Clark 7. West Clark 7? Yeah, the West general... Oh, right. West, West Clark 7. The, the regimes were going to topple okay. uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, Libya, Syria. Iran. Fi- finishing with Iran. Yes. There's two more. Um, Sudan, Ooh. Somalia, S- Somalia, maybe it was Somalia rather than Sudan. And uh, yeah, we're on our way, we're on our way. <laughs> Fuck the EU, we're getting there. <laughs> Are we the bad guys? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, so, uh, what were you saying about uh, slavery? Tunisia, I was just saying it's that's where it, where it starts from, doesn't it? And it's a bit of a failed state, and then one of the reasons why it's a bit of a failed state. Is because of the collapse of, in tourism to the country, because of the issues with the war in Libya next door, which we started and bombed, you know, bombed them with, with tornadoes and stuff. Bomb so. them, bomb them, and bomb them again. Yeah, so. rubbleize it and then <laughs> hand out some nice contracts to rebuild it. Uh, yeah, to our friends in. Uh, at, uh, but it's all just fucked, isn't it? Basically, it's still all fucked. Yeah, but hey, it's that's them over there. We don't have to worry about it. Yeah, yeah. No, but then it's caused all these other issues, hasn't it? So, yeah. you know. We bring it on our... I say we. Halliburton. Is that what you're trying to think of? <laughs> Halliburton's one. Right. Dick Cheney was on the board, <laughs> I wasn't he? could see it. <laughs> and there's another one. Um, but, yeah. Oh. Plus the mercenary armies, like Blackwater, who's changed its name, like uh, the Wagner Group in Ukraine. Wagner. On the other side, the mercenaries. You know, they get attracted from, from the military with um, big salaries. Mm-hmm. Come and retire after you've done your two, two tours of duty or whatever. Retire from the military. Sign on with Blackwater for 200 grand a year mm. and be a mercenary. International security. Mm. Yeah, firms, yeah. Mm. That's big money. And it's paid by us. Paid by it through your taxation, by the way. Your foreign aid budget and whatnot. Mm-hmm. It's great. Why great don't you come over and fix the potholes then? <laughs> oh, this is it, yeah. I've done that money for that. Don't have money. We've got money for aid to Ukraine. The road, the road that my road leads onto is just a patchwork of <laughs> tarmac <laughs> and potholes. Shit, have I told right. you about my electric car theory? What? Because the, they won't need roads where we're going. <laughs> <laughs> just like Mad Max. No, I had this theory that um, apparently electric cars are miles, miles heavier. Oh, so you're going to flatten it all out? <laughs> well, no, it's, it's going to dig the roads up. We're right. just going to dig the roads up even more. Right, right. Because uh, the more, the, the, like, the higher the percentage of electric cars takes over diesel and petrol, the more potholes we'll get because the, the, the tarmac was designed to take petrol and diesel cars for X amount of years' service. Mm. And now we're increasing the weight twofold with electric cars. They have to have special tires electric cars only to take the weight no, I've not wheels. heard about this weight thing but it makes they sense weigh a fucking like twice because as of much. the motor and the batteries you would yeah. think yeah, yeah, weigh more. yeah so it's going to dig your roads up but don't mind, don't worry about it the so only move to one of them anyway. 15 minute cities man. The get other, on the old public transport the other thing I've found well, I know we're going over time here but I found interesting <laughs> what the fuck are you doing <laughs> what the fuck are you doing <laughs> 
was um, that electric cars have actually gone up in price rather than coming down in recent years. They've gone from, I've been watching some videos about questioning um, some guy from mm, I wonder why energy I... yeah, agencies. And they said that the average price had gone from something like mid-30s or early 40s to mid-60s in five years. They've already announced that they're going to ban the alternative. I know, yeah. So, of course, the price is going to go up. It's not a free market, is it? No. They're banning mm. diesels and petrols, so they say. Mm. We'll, we shall see if it actually happens. I know, yeah. Yeah, um, where's the incentive to lower your price? You're not going to have a choice. You're going to have to have an electric car, mm. whether you like it or not, unless you want, like, a, uh, I don't know, a Ford Capri. You've got to go in the vintage market. Yeah, man. Something. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do. Fuck these electric... This electric bullshit. Four star. (laughs) (laughs) Right, shall we get rid of this shit show? Yeah. Yeah. Kamala Harris, so three fixes for climate change, if you aren't aware. It's a three-point plan, and it is as follows. When we invest in clean energy and electric vehicles and reduce population, Uh more of our children can breathe clean air and drink clean water. And reduce population, and reduce population, and reduce population. Just a reminder, if you go to the merch store, you can find the t-shirt, <laughs> you are the carbon they're trying to reduce. And reduce population. <laughs> In case you wonder. Wow. She but, can go first. <laughs> Can't she? Oh, it's been out, you know, they've been talking about this. Limits to growth. Mm. You know, Committee on 300, the Club of Rome, been talking about this forever. Uh, who's the, um, oh my gosh, population bomb, wrote the population bomb Ur- in the 60s, not Erwin Arshyster, Paul, <laughs> Paul, Paul Ehrlich, so Paul Ehrlich wrote the seminal book on the population bomb in the 60s, where he predicted loads of things, mm. like uh, running out of food by the 1980s and 70s and whatnot. Same as Al Gore did 20 years ago. None of it happens. It still continues. Bollocks, isn't it? Yeah. But yeah, you are the carbon they want to reduce. Mm. Oof, I would say. You're growlers! You are the growlers. Right, should we sign off then? Lovely, yes, for another week. Uh, Another two weeks. Not here next week. Oh, and then I'm not here for You're on holiday, are you? (coughs) I'm on a diplomatic mission to Pithwelly. (laughs) Pithwelly. Next week. So, uh, secure some coal for us. The slags, would you? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Get some off them Welsh slags. Mm -hmm. Off the slag heap. Yeah. We might have uh, an ultimate puss party while we're there. The ultimate puss party. The dirty bitches. So it won't be here next week, but the week after. Mm, right. With a barn raising. Be me and thee. Just yeah. me and you. Oh. Yeah. Unless we get a, a guest host in. Mano a mano. It's up to you. You can get someone else in if you want. Toasty toasty. Don't know. We'll see. See how we feel. Mm. God only knows. We, we might invite, invite the millennial back. That oh. chicken livered shit. Yeah. Chicken livered shits. <laughs> yeah. All right. Oh, hope you're entertained. Are you not entertained? We'll see you next week, yeah? Yeah. Uh, the week after. Bye bye. See you later, Toss Pops. Toss Pops! Epic dub. Based Sigma Chat. Tucking your dick between your legs, imagining you have a vagina. Apple Hood and Mother Pie. 
thank you for watching. I'm a cybernetic organism, living tissue over a metal endoskeleton. Calm down. Literally. 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 I'm literally a communist. I think you're hitting, hitting the point, Phil, that, uh... That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. Wag, wham, fam. You're going to Somerset. <laughs> uh, it really bothers me. Uh, 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 because I, I believe I, I have an issue in this respect. <laughs> Now I'm gonna to have to watch it. Oh. That little bitch. Watch it, you little bitch. What about this one? I don't know what that one is. Fuck Graham Hancock. What a baby. A big baby. Just get on with the game. Baby. <laughs> That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. I have to stop these people. They have to be stopped. I do it for God. I'm programmed by the BBC 